your Cornish Hello to you all on this special day for the Rapu and Dix Friday Fix. It's our 100th episode today on the 26th of February 2021, and I suppose I'd better bring him in, my co-host, this is Rapo. Afternoon, Dix. <laughs> 100. <laughs> yes, yes, 100. We've reached it. And yes, mate. Um, we've got there and we've done it. So uh, we can yeah. we can finish now, can't we? We can, mate. Yeah, we can. got into three figures, mate. We can, um, we can go to a grave happy, mate, can't we? Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can hang out our microphones. So... Yeah. <laughs> right, it was the 7th of December 2018 when we broadcast our very first episode of the Rapple and Deeks series. So, uh, um, if anyone's wondering, and it's the Rapple and Deeks Friday Fix we're talking about here rather than any other um, podcast that I might have done. Because if anyone was to look back on the Cornish Soccer Talking Football uh, range, they might think, why are we talking about 100 when I've actually done more than that but it's the rapper and deeks isn't it that's the important thing rapper that's it mate mate. yeah right so shall we start yeah what a show mate what a show you've come up with mate well it is yeah there's some very special interviews for you um i will warn all the listeners that it might take a little bit longer to listen to than usual but I did think, what's the rush? Because there's no local football football until uh, at least the 29th of March. So um, we don't have to worry on that front. We've got three ex-pros on today's podcast who all started their footballing lives playing in Cornish football. Martin Gritton, Kevin Miller and Nigel Martin. And uh, obviously a big thank you to them for sparing the time earlier this week for a chat. Of course, there's also the usual guys, Cam Weldon, John Colenzo and Phil Hiscox, who have been with us most of the way in our 100 episodes. We also speak to Soldash's Dane Bunny. Why, you might ask? Well, listen to our interview with him and you'll find out why. So uh, that's the show, Rappo. Oh, I've forgotten something. What's that, mate? Your tidbits. Oh, yes, mate, yeah. Yeah, got a few deeks. I'll try and keep it a bit brief from mate, with all that. So I always say it, mate, don't I? But with that, um, I just want to come up with something special, deeks. So work's been a bit horrendous this week, and so I've, I've not really got anything to swear. Well, I have in a way, mate. I mean, I thought I'd go back, mate. We've got the teams of the week winners, mate, from the from the very first podcast way back, hundred episodes ago, deeks. All right. Um, yeah, we've been awarding the team of the week, haven't we? It, it, it started off as a combination league team of the week, but after the sort of demise of the local footy in the Sunday Independent paper, mate, you know, including your popular weekly column, mate, and my Saturday combo league reports. I mean, lucky we got the voice now, I mean, Cornish Times and Falmouth Packet, but the Indies, uh, you know, certainly not what it was, mate, but it coincided with the emergence, mate, didn't it, of the new St. Piran League. Mm. Um, so we decided to go with a new league where a lot of the combo sides were promoted to it in any case, mate, wouldn't they? So so adding all this together, the, you know, the combo uh, originally and then the St. Piran League after that, this is a list of the winning teams, mate, over the 100 shows. Mm. So, yeah, it, well... To be fair, Dix, is actually only 61 shows, mate, which I was quite amazed at, really, because um, 39 of the weeks, mate, were lost um, due to the weather 
um, me going off to like New York and Egypt, etc. <laughs> and also the many lost Saturdays due to this worldwide pandemic, mate, that we're currently going through. Mm. So out the hundred shows, mate, we only sort of awarded it 61 weeks, Dick. So it's quite a bit, isn't it? 39 yeah. that we didn't. Well, we've, but, uh, we've kept going, haven't we, through thick and thin? Yeah, that's true, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it, mate. A lot of shows, you know, obviously there was no football, but we, we kept on ploughing through, mate, didn't we? So, but uh, but this is the full list of the teams of the week from the very beginning. And well done to all the teams in the East, I should add, mate, because um, the West obviously had a 21-week head start, mate, on those guys <laughs> with the combo. So, so um all the teams with a single win, it's one win, are uh, Pendine, Lizard Argyle, Cold Rose, Torpoint, Callington and Morganstone. Um, those on a brace, mate, two wins are Porth Levin, Perrinporth, Falmouth, Weybridge and uh, our old mate Kimo St Agnes team, mate. On a hat-trick, we've got uh, St Ives, Mullion, Sticker, Bude and uh, Patches Hale, mate. They're on four on three. A quadruple, mate. Four wins for Barisi and Fishes, Perrinwell. With Ruth United. Ashes St. Morgan team, mate, who's sort of done well in senior football since they entered it, mate. Paul, Matt, mate. Then Steve at Paul Perro, mate. Um, they've had four team of the weeks. And then Salt Ash United, Deeks, on four. We're getting to the old business end now, mate. On five, mate. Nap hands. You could say nap hands. <laughs> is that five, mate? A nap hand? I think it is. Yeah. 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 We got uh, we got Wendron, mate. Lumpson. Um, Kev was on the show the other week, mate. We've got his Salt Ashborough, mate. They've had five wins, mm-hmm. and and obviously Sparky St Austell team, mate. Um, and now we're getting that uh, well, sort of runners up, really, mate. This is a this is the double trick teams, mate. On six, so we got Helston. Um, Joffy's St. Bay team, mate, and Popey's Penryn team. But there's one team out in front, mate, out in front of everyone on seven wins, mate. Seventh heaven, mate. And that's, uh, well, one of your local teams, Dick, from Oxland Park, mate. Mikey Pasco's a Luggan, mate. Mm. They're on, uh, yeah, they're on seven wins, mate. So a Luggan are our current sort of, after 100 episodes, mate, they're currently leading the way on teams of the week, mate, with seven. Nice one. So that was that one, mate. And I thought we had to do this one, Deeks, didn't we? We, You know, as you know, mate, I've been on a mission and I to find the biggest name in Cornish football (laughs) (laughs) over the last two seasons, Deeks, on a a mission, mate. I I think it's finally time, mate, to name name the winner, mate. Um, Doesn't look like he's going to be beaten, I don't think, mate. (laughs) But um, it's actually, Deeks, is an all-time top ten. Or, or or thirteen in this case because it's, <laughs> it's actually a top seven mate with thirteen players involved. So um, I'll start off, mate. <laughs> excuse me for any um, mistakes or pauses, Dick. But I'll start off with a, in seventh, mate. We've got uh, Imantus Musnikus, mate, from Lana. <laughs> He's um, <laughs> they're currently top of Trelawney four, mate, Lana, mate, but. As, uh, yeah, um, Amantus Musnickus. <laughs> the biggest Musnickus. <laughs> he has it right, you know. Sorry, mate. Sorry. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm on about, mate, you should watch the Life of Brian film, Dick, <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> Biggest Musnickus. Yeah, but, um, yeah, Amantus Musnickus, mate. He's on, well, 
um, is 17 letter name is beaten, mate, by brothers Rolandus and Robertus Stumnowskis, mate, from, uh, they play in the Trelawney, Trelawney Premier League for West Cornwall, and they're actually managed by my old mate, Ashley Kemp, mate, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, mate, wasn't he, Ash? Mm. Um, I think he pronounced it a bit better than he thinks <laughs> me, but, but the brothers, yeah, but they could only share six spot sticks with, um, well, with Daniel O'Shaughnessy, mate, who plays in the in JC's league, mate, in the East Cornwall Premier League with, with Varian, mate. They're uh, they're all on eighteen letters, mate. So Daniel O'Shaughnessy, mate. But um, yeah, but there's three players, mate, on nineteen letters that, that tie equal fifth. We've got Alexandru Zamanegra, mate. Um, he was last seen scoring goals at Praise. I know he used to play for Alston Combo Dicks, didn't he? I think, mate. But, uh, yeah, he was last in scoring goals of praise, mate, in the Trelawney League. And then we've got uh, we've got an Alexander Sandercock, mate. Um, which, yeah, yeah which, uh, he plays, it, well, he plays for Southgate Seniors, mate, in um, in Dutchie League One, Alexander Sandercock. So, uh, and, and as well, as uh, well, the last one, mate, on, on 19 letters, we've, we've got... Uh, Kana Watt Namla Putter, mate, from Four Lane. What? <laughs> Kana Watt Namla Putter. He's a good golfer as well, apparently, mate. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not, mate. I don't know. I don't know if he plays good. But yeah, oh, Kana Watt, mate, he's on 90. He's plays in the Trelawney Premier for Four Lanes, mate. Kana Watt Namla Putter. But, uh, so yeah, but, well, we, we've got more things. We've got more. I mean, um, Equal fourth, mate, on 20 letters is uh, Benjamin Widdershoven, mate, from oh, Redruth yes. United. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ben plays for um, Redruth United, some Perrin League West team, mate. Um, and he's, well, he's level, mate. Um, up with, well, my my old personal favourite, Dixon, and, and the man that started this old debate, really, Dixon, <laughs> old Mindauskas, Lazarkowskas, <laughs> mate, St. <laughs> Berrien, mate. Yeah, there. You know, he plays in Trelawney too, mate. For some very on the bench a lot these days, mate. I noticed though, Mindauskas. But um, yeah, he's my personal favourite, mate. He, he started this all off, Diggs. But uh, but yeah, but that was uh, well. Originally, he was he was top mate, but that was before being eclipsed, mate, by two players uh, sharing third place on twenty-one letters. We got the Lepos Pombus Teotis, mate. <laughs> Filippo <laughs> Combostiotis for he plays for Salt Ash United, Superior League East Side, and Nuki Reserves East Cornwall Premier League player, mate. Aji Bodhi, Ollie Wattimelian, mate. Aji Bodhi, Olu Wattimelian. So uh, they're in, uh, along with Filippo Combostiotis and Aji Bodhi, Ollie Wattimelian, mate. They're both in third. Well, mate, outright second place goes to Roberto Carlos Perestrello, who featured for the Zudgeons combination team quite a bit last season, mate. And I can imagine good fun for the secretary putting his 23-letter name on the team sheet every week. So I would imagine, mate, oh, Roberto Carlos Perestrello. But takes his moniker pales into insignificance, mate. When you hear the when you hear the winner and the biggest name 
biggest <laughs> um, the biggest name in Cornish football digs with, with a surely not to ever be beaten 33 letters. 33? Mate. 33 letters. <laughs> we've got to thank uh, Ben for this, mate, and me from the Cornwall Football Museum, mate. Ben Slater, haven't we? Oh, yes. I think, yeah, I think he... Um, he put this uh, name forward to us, mate, and uh, and it's a beauty, mate. It's Godolphin's former Dutchy League uh, regular, mate, and, and first team bench warmer, mate, in the South West Peninsula League. So I think Phil might have come across him, mate. But but uh, the winner, mate, the all-time biggest name in Cornish football, belongs to Christian Azinabo Rodriguez Minsanza, mate. <laughs> so um, I don't think. Dave Deacon and Mark Ratsy, mate, on ten letters, <laughs> ten letters each, mate. Would have. I think you could make yours to eleven, mate. Could you? Yeah, yeah, I could. I could stretch it out to David. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think we're going to compare with uh, Christian Asanabo Rodriguez Minsanza, are we, mate? So, no. What do you say? Thirty-three. Thirty-three letters. 33 yeah. Letters. That's yeah. Surely the biggest name, well, ever in Cornish <laughs> football, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it's going to take a bit of beat in that, Deeks, isn't it? Just, just give us it one more time. Yes, mate. Yeah, the, the all-time champion, mate. Biggest name in Cornish football. Christian Azanabo Rodriguez Minsanza, mate. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think he's from Crantock. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a, I think he's Portuguese. And he's, he's a bit, but, yeah. but, um... But yeah, so yeah, mate. Yes, uh, but last week, Dix, I had a, I had a few people. Um, oh, what, sorry, mate. I'll get on, mate, because <laughs> fantastic show, mate. I mean, this week, fantastic show. But um, I had a few people last week uh, saying about you know uh, enjoyed my book review, mate. Of oh, that. yes. It, yeah. it was only three or four. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite a few. It was about three or four, mate. But but. Um, but our very own JC enjoyed it, I think, as well, mate, didn't he? And he's gone out this week and bought about six or seven books, mate, isn't he? So, but um, but it's not so much another review this week, mate. Is it? Is it? I just thought I'd, you know, sort of say about five of my favourite all-time books, mate, that I've read, and I've read read a lot of books, to be fair. To you. I think me and Steve-O from Tour Point, mate, must be up there for reading the most football autobiographies, mate. Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Steve O's read a few as well, mate, but I remember. But um but yeah, you can you can get these must read books, mate, pretty cheap these days, each. You know, if anyone's got, you know, a little bit of time on their hands still, like you said, mate, you know, we've got another month now, haven't we? We'll know football, so you know, if you've got a bit of time on your hands on a Saturday afternoon, sit out in the garden. Um but um but check eBay first, mate, price wise, and then go on to Am Amazon to compare, you know. After, mate, because eBay's usually cheaper. But if you want that bit quicker delivery, you know, Amazon's better. But but the first one, Dix, is, is called All Played Out by Pete Davis. I don't know if you've ever come across that one, Dix. Um, it, it, I mean, this is such a good read, mate. I read it twice. Um, and I hardly ever do that, to be honest, mate. But Pete had access to England manager, well, the much-loved Bobby Robson, mate, and his squad. The nine months leading up to, well, leading up to and during Italian 90 World Cup, where obviously Gaza's tears, mate, and you know, and the game source used to Germany on penalties in the semi-final. And this is a real sort of unedited version of, of what went on, mate. And and it says, you know, when football in England changed forever, mate. And uh, you know, it's a brilliant book, the exact one, brilliant book. 
Um, the second one, mate, is Stan the Man. Uh, it's not Colin Moore, mate, but it's uh, it's called A Hard Life in Football by Stan Turner, mate. Do you remember Stan oh, Turner? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, honestly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it sums it up quite well. Brutally honest, a savage, wonderful read. Ian Wright said it's one of the funniest football books, if not the funniest he's ever read. And I agree with Wrighty on that one. Because I spent half my holiday, mate, in Cyprus, like reading bits out to Rach while she was somebody because <laughs> I'd spent so much time laughing. So she was asking what I was laughing at, mate. So I had to read it out to her. She said she felt like she read the book after. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but he's an absolute nutter, Deeks. He, he headbutted one of his players in training. Um, him and Neil Warnock absolutely ate each other, mate. They had a scrap in the tunnel a couple of times, I think, mate. But absolutely hilarious book, book it is, Deeks. You know, Stan the Man, mate. Stan Turner, fantastic, mate. There's some brilliant little stories. I won't ruin it for anyone, mate, but there's some brilliant little stories in there, mate. Just, it'll have you cracked up, like, the way he explains it and that. Um, another one, mate, Full Time by Tony Cascarino. Um, I mean, it says he's scarred by his childhood, Haunted by indiscretion and troubled by a, a secret from his colourful past. The most honest book ever written by a footballer. And I, I've got to agree, Deeks. I, I wasn't too sure about this book originally. You know, I like, I like Casper, you know, as a player, but I, you know, I, I think I got the book for like three quid or something. I wasn't too bothered about it, but I picked it up, started reading it, mate, and I was hooked by about page three, like Deeks. It is, it's so honest, mate. I mean, absolutely superb book. I mean, it, it was about, I think he, he was, um, I think it's his wedding day, Deeks, and uh, he woke up somewhere where he shouldn't have done on the night before, <laughs> on that morning of his wedding. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, that, that's the way he starts to put, I mean, so honest, mate, and, you know, brilliant. He said he wasn't even Irish, mate, and then he went on to have 83 caps, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And he said he'd got nothing to do with Ireland, mate. You know, it was all made up, apparently, Deeks. So, but brilliant book, mate, and, and a little bit sadder, mate, a, a book. It's called A Life Too Short, mate. And it's the tragedy of um, Robert Enke, mate. Um, you know, the German goalkeeper. I, I read this book on a beach, mate, in, in, in Egypt, Deeks. And, and I read it in about two days, mate. It's one of those books you just couldn't put down. It's, I mean, Robert, had, well, he was 32 years old, Deeks. He had the world at his feet, really. He played for a string of Europe's top clubs, including Barcelona and Benfica on his first choice for the German national team um, before he stepped in front of a, a passing train, mate. Um, yeah, he was also a devoted husband and father, mate, at the time. And, and the author, Ronald Rang, mate, um, he does a fantastic job of piecing the puzzle of it, of it all together, mate. You know, his mental health, his illnesses, and he's someone at the top can still have problems. You know, I think the three interviews he did this week, you know, like... Grits, Nige and Kev, mate, you know, even though they've had all our fantastic careers, they still have their sort of hard times in, you yeah. know, in, in football. But yeah, 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 I thought, you know, that comes through really well in your interviews as well, mate. It's not all roses, Dicks, is it? Uh, you no, know, the top in football. Yeah. No, but, um, but yeah, the, he's an author, mate, does a fantastic job of like piecing it all together. And one of his friends, you know, and, and he knew him well. and. I mean, it says this book should be on every football fan's must-read list, and I think it won like the William Hill Book of the Year and that Dicks when it came out. And yeah, I was waiting for it to come out actually for ages. And when I when I got it, mate, you know, took it on holiday and I read it in two days. Like Dicks, it's fantastic. But but and the last one, mate, is Floodlit Dreams, mate, by Ian Ridley. 
Um, Southern League team Weymouth, mate, were in dire straits. Uh, well, a club where, where our own Cody Cook's playing for today, mate, isn't it? Mm. Weymouth, come back again. But they were half a million in debt at the time, Diggs. And, he's, and it's basically a story of boardroom backstabbing, petty rivalry, and Ridley's fascinating insight and and trademark wit peppered with euphoric highs and personal pain. I mean, I think he put a lot of his own money in, mate. Is it? I think he got Steve Claridge there and that, mate. But I, I won't ruin it, mate. I mean, he, he tried to save the club, basically, mate. It was his sort of local club. And it, and it says, mate, a compelling journey of a non-league football club. And, you know, I can, can vouch for it really deep. So I'm, I remember being in bed, actually, mate, for, for two or three days with, like, a stinking cold, mate. And, and I thought, oh, I'll read that floodlit dreams book, like, deep. And I, and I read it in about a day and a half. Hmm. And yeah, it did. It didn't get boring once, mate. Every page was, you know, brilliant, mate. Absolutely loved it. And I know I couldn't do a lot else because I, I was stuck in bed, mate. But but yeah, I read it in about a day and a half. Diggs, and yeah, that one's floodlit dreams, mate, by Ian Ridley. And and finally, Diggs, just to say before I go, mate, two great documentaries um, out. Well, right now as we speak, mate. Out, one come out last night, mate. Pele. Um, that one's on Netflix, mate. It's the life and career of the soccer great. Um, and it, it's, it's got basically unseen footage and that, mate, of Pele, right from being a kid. Well, uh, you know, obviously right up to his great career, mate, winning three World Cups, mate. And that one come out on the, well, the 23rd, mate. So what's that, two nights ago, mate, come out. And, and on Sky Documentaries, this is, um, and that's out tonight, this one, um, Bruno V. Tyson. Uh, a story of the legendary boxing rivalry spanning two epic fights marred by politics and volatile race relations, mate. So, but the old foes come together at the end of it, mate, for a reunion, which is, <laughs> you know, look, looks really good, the trailer, Dick. So uh, I saw the trailers on both, and they both look excellent, mate, if, uh, you know, anyone's looking for something to watch, mate, this weekend. Pelé and Bruno V. Tyson. Mm. That's it, really, Dick. I was going to come up with a quiz for you and that, mate, but I think I'll save that for another day, because <laughs> you've got a great show, mate, me, so I think people will rather hear from some really good footballers than me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. You, you're up there in the popularity chart, so... Thanks, mate. <laughs> Actually, mate, I've got Brits' shirt. I know we've got Brits on in a minute, mate. I've got his shirt too, mate. I'm looking at... I'm in my office, Dick, so I've got... I've got his Torquay shirt here, mate, and his Grimsby one that mm. he, he, done, he gave to me and the boys, yeah. This is how modest he is, Gritz. Uh, he's, he's put Rappo to a great friend and better player, Love Gritz. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the bloke scored 80 league goals, mate, isn't he? Football league goals. Wow. I mean, yeah. You know, well, I'd love to achieve what Gritz has done, mate. <laughs> Couldn't answer a better bloke as well, mate. Well, that's quite a good leading, isn't it? Shall we, uh, shall we go for our first interview then? It's Martin Gritton. You're an expert in this podcast, Lark, aren't you? <laughs> I, I'm not sure about expert, but uh, <laughs> I think if you can get to 100 deeks, you're doing something right. So, congrats. Firstly, congrats to you and Rappel for for starting it up. A much needed resource in Cornwall to to kind of keep everyone up to date, but also, um, yeah, a, a great landmark set. I was actually going to blame you because I think it was you who suggested to Rappo that we did this. And here we are, you know, 7th of December 2018, we did our first one. And we're still going through, you know, numerous lockdowns and all sorts. So you're to blame for it. 
Well, I, you know, I, I blame, responsible, I don't know, one, one or the other, but certainly nice to have been there um, to start chatting to rap. I mean, like, if you're going to get two people to do it, I mean, you and rap, <laughs> between you know everyone in Cornwall, in Cornish football, <laughs> so I think you've got your, your bases covered, so no, 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 it's uh, it's great, and, and also in the kind of modern era, like, everyone's connected, aren't they, seeing the kind of people sharing old pictures of Cornish football on, on Facebook and those sort of things. Yeah. It's really, it's a really nice way for people to keep in touch and remember some of the good times they had when they were playing. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about playing, you started at Truro and you finished at Truro, didn't you? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It was um, almost full circle. I was playing at Truro at like minors, um, under 16s. Came up through a kind of, the youth set up there, but it was kind of various incarnations of that. And then when we kind of disbanded, we weren't having much success at the level I was at. And then a lot of the lads went to Truro Thirds. And we, to be honest, there were probably too many players for me to get a look in there. And then, um, you know, so didn't really have, have much. I was playing on Sunday, League Two. So Rappel can probably vouch for this as well. I was playing for a team called FC Truro, mm-hmm. a little Sunday League team. And um, we had the misfortune of, of meeting Rappel in his pomp many times. He, he <laughs> took great pleasure in putting five, seven, eight, nine. Oh, don't, 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 don't. But yeah, so you play for FC Truro. Had a couple of mates. Paul Baldwin was the left back at. at Karen well, but my actual contact was through Phil Reese and I like with Tim Pinnock, the centre halves, and Reese obviously has been a great servant to Karen well. They, they they suggested to me at Truro College, I was playing for Truro College team, and they were like, come down and have a game with us in the Karen well seconds. And then, I mean, everything went from there. My first few games, Dave Fisher came down to watch, I think, when I started to score a few goals for the seconds because, you know, we, we kind of picked up our season. And I was part of that, and they managed to nick a few games for the first team at Perimwell at the end of that season, in which I'm, I, I, I would expect you, you were probably covering the paper at that time, Dave, weren't you? I was certainly covering the Congo mm. League. Yeah, that's right. And you and Boise Simons struck up a, a good little partnership, didn't you? Yeah, it was great. It was brilliant. I, I, Boise was just, you know, an unstoppable force, <laughs> a very unique sort of player, but just a, a great athlete and, you know, great finisher. and and um, and it was obviously very low to pair him well, and 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 it was it was a great foil for me to play with. I was lucky enough to have a few cracking players. Nigel Brabant uh, was was just a selfless and very good, experienced striker to play up alongside, or certainly someone to support him behind me. Because you know, we, we had a big side of Perm, a big strong team, which I kind of it was a perfect first men's football team for me to play on a, on a Saturday team because Simon Fisher, Brian Fisher, uh, Arnie at the back, Boulders, you know, we just, we just, and there was a lot of good players that kind of came from the Truro area for Paramore, you know, because it was in that kind of catchment. So that was brilliant. I had a, I had a couple of great years at, at Paramore. We, we won a lot of things together with, with Dave Fisher and, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, the team went on to, you know, great things after that. And, you know, I, Kind of played against them when I was at Port Levin in a charity cup game, which was which was a little bit of a weird feeling. But yeah, Alan Carey took me down to Port Levin uh, after Perham Well, and kind of um, it was just a chance for me to test myself. I was away at uni pretty much straight away, but it was a great to have that first season and, and really get stuck into the Southwestern League. So just to clear it up: when you were playing for Port Levin, were you away at? University, or not what? the first season. So I think right. I got the first full season, and my memory's a bit hazy here. That um, I'd say that that would have been '96. So maybe '95, um, '96. Could that have been my first season? Um, 
Uh, I'm just trying to think. No, maybe I did. Maybe I was away. But I got a, got a fair few games in and I came back a lot. I think I scored, I mean, crikey, that first season. We just kind of, we got we got a few players from the combo, but they were very, very good players. I mean, it was like Bruce Jane, Kev Whitford, and then we just had a really good backbone. We had, you know, the quality players like Dodger and, mm. and George Torrance, but then Mark Hope, Spaz, um, and the, the spine with Gary Penaligan who was just a phenomenal goalkeeper for us. Um, and, and then we just added great players all around it. You know, we had like young players like Chris Strike and Dave Chambers at right back. We had, um, who else coming through in that, in that spell? But I mean, me and Leggy, I think he nearly got 100 goals between us. He got nearly 60 and I got, <laughs> I must have got about 30, I think I got about 30, 38 in that first season. That was just playing maybe up to about 30 games. So yeah, we had a cracking run at it and, and you know, and, and it, the Vaz run was just something special. Oh yeah, I remember that FA Vaz run, and and it was a real pleasure to watch you and Charlie. Well, it must have been the fastest pair in Cornwall at the time, I would have thought. Um, you know, you certainly uh, had the pace, but it, it's something about you, isn't it? I mean, you had Boise at Paranwell, you had Charlie at Port Levin. You always had a, a, a good partner alongside you as well, didn't you? Yeah, I had a lot of good foils. I found partnerships. I mean, I was used to playing in that way. I think I played. Um, oh, you know, if I didn't play off someone, certainly Nigel Brabant, who kind of played with me, but boys, you would drift in for out wide. And I mean, in terms of scoring, I think that competition, because there was no love lost between me and Leggy. I mean, we both like, did we do everything, anything to, to put the ball in the back of the net? And I think that was perhaps the unifiers. But <laughs> it was a very competitive, we were a competitive front two. And, and um, you know, if it wasn't me, one week could be him the next. And, and we had that kind of, um, you know, general rivalries within your team. When I went up to Plymouth, I, I kind of took that one from a professional career as well. I mean, like Ian Stonebridge, got a great understanding and partnership with him. Um, and then moved up Davy Graham at, um, at Torquay. Me and him had a, had a blistering couple of seasons. So um, I think it's finding a good way to, to get the best out of your strike partner. Or certainly if the, the players like Leggy that are just incredibly quick and and um, creative and kind of you know just cause problems it actually frees up opportunities for you because you know defenders are worrying about them I mean if you've got one striker I always felt that in the South Western League you play against teams you know that had maybe they had one brilliant player I think well, it was a hold where they had was it Ian Rowe who had yeah, up yeah. There? brilliant yeah. player but you knew that if you could stop him you had a fair chance of winning uh, you're beating holes where they were Appledore, wherever he was playing at the time. You play teams with two or three good players in it and cause you a bit more of a headache. So, Port Leverton, obviously, you did well. And then for the next 12 years, uh, sorry, next 10 years, you went all over the place, didn't you? Not yeah, not in the way of mentally or physically, but, but you know, travel-wise, well, I think you're described as a journeyman, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I kind of <laughs> tongue-in-cheek called myself that. It's one of those things that once you... Once I kind of got released by Plymouth, and all players that have gone to professional clubs and have experienced this, you have a decision to make whether it's uh, whether you're ambitious or you're kind of or your life. You know, how, how, what what do you put first? What do you prioritise? Your, your career or your family or whatever you have. So I just made decisions that were, that were right for me at the time. Torquay was a great club to go to from from Plymouth. Um, but it, it kind of got me thinking when we got over to League One, it was a really good opportunity for me to move, get a better contract. I'd established myself in League Two 
and going back up to Grimsby, I thought like there's a lot of teams up in the north. You play reserve games in the north, there's always scouts watching. You didn't really have that in the southwest. We're always a little bit more remote. So, you know, the likelihood is that you would play for the pro teams in the southwest and then maybe, you know, play for, as you've seen some of the players that played for Tiverton and played for Taunton, good professional players that then play semi-professional and bring a lot of success to those teams. And Truro benefited massively from that as well. So um, going up north was really me chancing my arm. I had nothing to time down at the time. So I thought I'll go and have a go. Being a striker... You're the first player a manager will change if they come in. Regimes change pretty quick at that level. So I just found myself in and out of favour so so quickly. You, you really want to say at one club for four or five years, build up a bit of a rapport with the fans and the team and that consistency. And I felt like at Torquay we kind of had that, but they'd kind of gone on to the next level and I wasn't guaranteed a place. So I'm, you know, I've got, certainly have no regrets in my experiences playing for all those different teams were just brilliant you know getting to getting to play with all the different sort of managers that I played along the way all the different players you know um, Michael Reddy at Grimsby who's a, a fantastic talent getting to getting to play with him then going to Lincoln and playing under Keith Alexander getting you know, um, I had a, had a little spell at Mansfield on loan and that scored a fair few goals up front with Barry Connor and up a good partnership with him and going over to Macclesfield Paul Lynch signing at Macclesfield and there was all these various experiences and and understanding of the clubs and the people around it, so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Going back to um, when you actually started at the pro level with with Argyle, how big a sort of decision was that for you to go into the pro game? Because obviously, I'm assuming you were successful at uni. Yeah, that was where it started, I suppose. Really, uni. I've got an England uni team, and that was a real uh, that that was a real benchmark for me because I was going up against people in trials that you know didn't know where you're from. Don't be, so you're just doing it on merit, um, and, to, and kind of to get that, you know. And I remember finally my dad coming to watch at Lily Show and having the trials there and, and getting to getting to play, even though I was wearing an England kit at the time, which I'm not sure he'd have been too happy about. But <laughs> um, yeah, that that was great. Um, Plymouth, it was a bit of a no-brainer because poor Flevin, I kind of had an agreement with Alan Carey. I'll go and do my pre-season at Argyle, and if they're messing me about, because a lot of players do get messed about at that level, um, and I've been on try a long time, but it made me fitter and stronger and, and, and a better player than I'd ever been before. So it was a good thing for me to get the get the pre-season in, and then I come down and maybe played a couple of games for Paul Flevin and saying, well, you know, I might while I'm at uni, I want to finish uni, so don't go back. So I had a big long kind of trial period at Argyle that kind of prepared me for it I think it's incredibly difficult for players coming in from non-league going straight into that setting and having an impact unless you're playing for a team that's training two three times a week the physical efforts and exertions that you're going through are, are, you can get you can get away with it for a couple of months but then you know, your body just really it takes its toll so that was a big that was a big sea change for me but the experience I got at Plymouth was the platform that, that built the rest of my career playing under Sturrock and seeing the success of that team and seeing what's required at that level to to make it you know that was a real wake-up call yeah a bit of an eye-opener I, I would imagine so so <laughs> out of all the clubs uh, and teams you played for which one gives you the most pleasure I'd say I'd say looking back now and it has to be Torquay just the success we had taking a team we, we sneaked in to the automatic playoff spots on the last game of the season to go up to League One and, and we had a, a team led by Leroy Senior it was just it was just a brilliant a brilliant footballing team we played the right way and um, and it was great to play in a team that it was free and creative and like, we can win this way as well because at Plymouth we were a, a machine you know it was a big 
kind of, you know, big side direct, just didn't give anything away. And whereas Toki, it was slightly more creative. I mean, we were slightly more vulnerable because of that. But going forward, it was just such a more <laughs> enjoyable way of playing football. Hmm. And, um, and I took a lot from that time there. Hmm. And of course, you're still involved in the game, aren't you? Um, you? You do a bit of punditry for BBC Radio Devon, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So um, just do some summarising for, for Radio Devon and BBC Humberside. So just covering Plymouth and Torquay on their away matches when they're up in and around London, um, which is a really nice way to keep in touch. Still see a couple of the old faces from my, my early times at the club. Um, and, and just nice to keep involved, you know, and, and seeing how football's developing at that level and, and you know, some some cracking players coming through that get to get to commentate on and Torquay right now are just a, a, a superb team to watch. Yeah, they're going well, aren't they? So, but I mean, it's only what nine years or so since you you stopped playing. Um, but the game has changed so much in that time, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. It really has. For I, the better. Know, um, uh, well, I, I suppose you, you, the the progress certainly in terms of I suppose inclusivity in terms of getting you know the, the women's game. Um, uh, you know, all different age groups being slightly more, you know, not putting people off when you, when you're coming through. It was a it was a very tough kind of um, <laughs> what's the word? It, it was a very tough start when you go into men's football, and yeah. that can be a bit of a bit of a sea change for young guys. Back, especially back when I was playing. I mean, that was just coming to the end of your career, wasn't it, Dave? I think you were still playing a couple of games with Aggie at the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, some char- strong characters, and you get used to those sort of things. I think football play has changed. A lot at all levels. Um, yeah, I hope for the better. Uh, but you know, I think it's difficult for in the, in the lower levels. You you just you need people to commit, and there's a lot of different things in people's lives nowadays, isn't it? So I know it's I know it's tough to kind of maybe manage manage clubs when you haven't got a huge amount to kind of come of money coming in to to manage it. So it's it's difficult the lower reaches, I'm sure. And there's a question. Financially, what was the best contract? Uh, you know, which club was the one that you had the best contract at? Ah, well, that'd be telling, Dave. You know. <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd be glad, happy to say that my contracts got better and better as I as I went on. Okay. And then, um, so around, I mean, they're pretty comparable, but around Grimsby and Lincoln was decent, and then uh, Chesterfield was a was a cracking contract that I signed there. Um, and then once you start to kind of come out of that, and you when even whenever when stop point you're looking at it and you're like, oh well, it's an alright contract, but you know the the legs are probably running out a little bit there. <laughs> so you, you you start looking at your mates that have proper careers and have built up them their reputations and whatever they've done and they're starting to probably surpass whatever I was earning. So, you know, it was a kind of uh, re-educate and, and make some tough decisions about, um, you know, playing football for a living. Mm. And what are you up to now? You, you're, you're still involved in sport though, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I've moved into sports marketing and sports PR, and which is basically, you know, just working with brands, working with clubs, working with, you know, anything that's that's kind of involved in that space. Um, and now I'm the marketing communications manager for London Stadium. So that's working for the stadium, not for West Ham, but we obviously work with them because mm. they're our tenants during the football season. But we've got athletics. We put the baseball on. And back in 2019, we've got gigs that run throughout the summer schedule. So the recent news is, you know, hopeful that we can put something on this summer to, to get fans back in and enjoying themselves. I mean, what's it like? Uh, have you watched West Ham, you know, during the lockdown or not? 
Yeah, I went to the, Man- the, the one game where they had 2,000 fans back, Man United, back in December. Went along to that, which was brilliant. It was just so nice to have that feeling of going um, to football with some fans. I did actually cover a game for Torquay. They played Kings Lynn. Mm. And that was really good because that was Torquay were steamrolling teams and they went to Kings Lynn and it was quite intimidating for them because it was only home fans. It was one of those those kind of cold December matches where everything was a bit, you know, feisty. Um, it was it was a great feeling to be back and um, watching something like that. So I think people are going to, you know, people are not going to know what to do with themselves when they're back at the football because they're missing it so much. Yeah, it must be difficult though playing in these stadiums, these big stadiums with no crowd, oh, God, must yeah. it? Yeah, crazy. It reminds me of some awful reserve or awkward reserve games you'd have against these big teams and you'd go and play in these, you know, just kind of cavernous venues that just, <laughs> you know, that you could hear, the only thing you could hear is people shouting on the pitch, you know, obviously nothing from the stands, so it's always, always a bit soulless. Mm. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, uh, Martin. Now, get, give your, your own podcast a bit of a plug. Whistleblowers, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. We do, we do a little podcast. We're part of a bigger sort of podcast network, but whistleblowers, we cover the Premier League and, and just the goings on. Um, it's just a quite light, irreverent, uh, one. So yeah, you can, you can see that I'm usually tweeting about it at, at some point, but, um, but yeah, slightly different audience to, to yours, Dave, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I hope to be uh, coming back on when you've, when you've done your next hundred. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're welcome on, but I'm not too sure I'll be welcome to still be doing it, but, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's great talking to you, Martin. And it's you know it's been good to follow your career as such through the yeah. through the football game. I remember going to watch uh, you at Paraguay and whatever. So um, as well as the likes of Port Eleven and the fact that you couldn't get in through a city third team. Well, there's always hope, isn't there? There's always hope. Always hope. Never give up, Dave. Never give up. Your Cornish podcast. Right, so that's Martin Gritton. Thanks for his chat. Now, he's a podcast expert. He denied it at the beginning, though, didn't he? But he's on... Well, I, I'm not sure what I understood by him saying... He suggested that he has more listeners in our podcast, didn't he, I think? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Gritton's is Premier League. What's it? Whistleblower is Gritton's called, mate. Have yeah. you listened to it? It's yes, good, I have, it? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite funny, like... And, Gritz does a really good, good job of it, mate. But, um, yeah, I think his Premier League um, got a bit more of a pull, mate, hasn't it, than maybe <laughs> West Peninsula League. But, but, um, but now, nah, mate, he hasn't changed a bit, mate, has he, Gritz, mate? I mean, really proud of what he's achieved. Each, you know, it's been a pleasure following his career, mate. You know, when, when one of your really good mates does well and, you know, he's, he's never forgotten his old mates in Cornwall, Dick, you know. That's what I love about Grits, mate. I don't think I bought a pair of boots for about eight seasons, mate. <laughs> and, you know, I've got training kit from Mansfield shorts to Stockport sweatshirts, mate, to Macca's, Macclesfield T-shirts. I mean, I think they fit Grits better than they fit me these days, though, Dave. Well, <laughs> let's be fair, with all the clubs he's been to, you could have, you could set up your own sports shop, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, Gritz has done me proud, mate, over the years. I, and I know he's done it for a few of us, mate, you know, a few of his mates in Troy, mate. And, you know, I always love watching his career. But, you know, he's got a massive buzz, you know, from one of Gritz's Argyle or Torquay goals. And we'll often see, you know, Gritz's dad, Pat, mate, at the games. Yeah. And, you know, what a proud bloke, you know, Mr. G. Yeah. Must have been, mate, what's watching all of Grit's achievements. And, and you know, Grit's is still looking after Jack, mate, you know, up until last year when he was 
when he was working for New Balance. I mean, Jack said it was like Christmas, mate, getting a parcel come through <laughs> at, the, at his uni, mate. You know, off grits and that. But but um, yeah, I've got to be honest. Deeks football's given me a, a lot, a lot, Deeks. You know, but but meeting grits when he was just a young, talented striker, mate, in Troy back in them days, and being mates for the last twenty five years. You know, such a top bloke and player is is right up there, mate, and me. You know, and me life mate really and had some great nights watching grits and wheels he mate you know own park and playing more great memories but even non-football mate I, just one quick thing because I, I remember like some non-football me, me grits and another old great mate you know sweeter mate dave sweet we was chatting in my kitchen one summer evening and vicky mate sweet his wife was there and i just you know and mate so he was just standing up listening to this mate bored probably mate and um and vicky goes i'm sorry Sorry, and we sort of like sorry, excuse me, and uh, bless her, mate. And we all stopped talking, looked at her, and she goes, uh, Me waters have just oh. broke. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, it goes bloody hell. I'm like, Christ, yeah. So, so they were like zoomed off to the hospital, mate. And um, yeah, me, Grits, and Rachel's left there to finish off the lasagna, mate. Like, but <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I love Grits, mate, and you know, absolute top bloke, mate, and you know, never changed a bit, mate. No, I still can't understand a word he says. <laughs> well, I'm fluent, and I mate in Glaswegian. Oh, of course you are. Right. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I'm yeah. all right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Thanks to Grits there, and uh, yeah, I can still remember watching him out at Paranwell and Port Leven and uh, crazy yeah. little places like that. So uh, that's our first interview of the program. Now. We also have to uh, say thank you to our regular guys. And, uh, well, he was with us on the very first Rapper and Deeks Friday Fix. It's our very own Cam Weldon, who obviously now is our contact with Truro City. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Rapper and Deeks podcast. Um, before we uh, talk about memories, um, any news coming out of... Uh, well, where do I say now? I can't say coming out of Truro Road, can I? <laughs> What do I? No. What should I say? Yeah, well, just, I guess it's coming out of Truro City, Davis. <laughs> but um, you can't say Truro Road anymore. Which is, no, I'm still get. It's a bit hard for me actually. I'm still getting used to it, like putting like, oh, come come along Truro Road, and we don't have to do that anymore. But um, <laughs> yeah, so realistically, there's not, as we all know, there's not really been too much going on um, with Truro. As I said, the league is still suspended, and it's certainly looking like it will stay that way. Um, the National League North and South have. Well, they've announced that, that they are going to be null and void. So we're expecting it for the same outcome to happen and that the season's going to get null and void again for the second season in a row, which um, I actually interviewed Jack Richards the other day. and He, he wasn't, he was adamant saying that the season just needs to continue. There's no point null and voiding it. I know we've played seven games, but we need to continue. Like this, There's no point starting a new season because you don't know whether it, what's going to happen. You might not have, it might be the same scenario next season, for example. Hope, we all hope it's not. So but, um, you, you, you just you just don't know. So to to get this clear in my mind, and he's saying finish uh, well stop now, but run this season into next season or what? He was basically saying continue this season if safe to do so. Obviously, um, don't null and void it, and just continue and, work, and just make sure it's completed. Whether that being completed, doing it over the summer, whether that's completed. And to, um, doing it for the next year or so, I don't know, but um, that's mm. what he was getting at, and he, he doesn't know the answers. But he was saying he just wants a bit more clarity from 
the FA and the leagues, which is completely understandable because from his point of view, he's put him and the club, they've put a lot of money in, they've put a lot of players in, contracts and stuff. It's a very, they want to know what's happening. And the fact that the FA, realistically, they, they probably know what's happening now. With them. If the National League has said something, they, I think they need to say something really and um, get level with it, basically. Yeah. Of course, it could well be that by the time this podcast goes out on Friday that um, the the FA have ratified whatever the, the league yeah. has gone to them with. And that's interesting, actually, because you know, looking at Truro in the league table, they've, along with a couple of other sides, they've played the most games, eight, but it means they've got 30 games left to play. Yeah, exactly. That would be a mammoth a task to get them completed in a decent time scale so that next season, you know, was sort of as, as ordinary as we know. Um, hmm, interesting. But, you interviewed yeah, him, so where, where might one see that interview? Uh, it's actually for my uni for the uni website. It's on <laughs> truthfile.com, actually. Like they've all the most yeah, exactly. It's just a Falmouth Uni um, journalism uh, page. So it's, I'm in my last term at uni, so they've got us doing a lot of articles, and uh, I've decided to do an article on the Null and Void, which is looking, as I said, imminent. So mm. um, that'll be up on Thursday. So well, if you're listening to this, it'll be already up. So is that available for people to? Outsiders to look yep. at. Or, so yeah, 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 yeah. Give us that um, yeah. that link again. Truthfile.com. Truthfile.com. Right. Okay. Just going back to your original question. The only other news out of Truro was James Hammond this week. He's um, he's had his loan extended uh, with Torquay for the, for another month. Uh, to be honest, it was kind of on the cards. He's obviously we're not playing, so it makes sense for him to go back to um, play more and continue to be uh, part of the squad and training with them as like their backup goalkeeper. They had obviously the reason he got the move there was down they had an injury in, in their goalkeeper department and Hammy lives in that area and it, I think it just made sense really for him to go along as like a backup option for them and just continue doing so now for another month. And mm. what I was told, uh, what I've gathered there is a if if the FA decide to continue the season which as we've said highly unlikely but um, there is an option in that to bring Hammy back straight away for us so we don't have to worry about goalkeeper getting a new goalkeeper and such but as I said it's highly unlikely that will happen mm. Ideal situation isn't it really for everyone Yeah realistically yeah and uh, the most important is for the, the player really and as I said Hammy lives well, I think it's within the stones throw playing more and stuff so it's super easy for him to get up there and just play football and train football really and that's what footballers want to do and he, he's lucky that for his sake the talkie had an injury um, crisis and goal and he could he got the opportunity to go and train with them full time regularly so um, it's a and it's a deal that suits Truro as he said it's a deal that suits Torquay and a deal that suits him so good news all round yeah okay well thanks for that um, that's the news brought us up to date and of course you've been on the podcast since day one haven't you you and Josh were the uh, True City, well, independent voice at that stage. Now, of course, um, your work, well, I say working in inverted commas for True City as the media man. So what are you, do, you know, what are you doing still with us after two years and a bit? You know me, Dave. I, you can't keep me away now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I thoroughly enjoy doing it, Dave. And it's um, when you put it like that, when I saw the hundreds of episodes, that's maybe two, two years ago. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Well, twenty end of twenty eighteen was it? Yep, seventh of December twenty eighteen. We uh, that's mental, we did really. Think about that. Yeah. Crazy, three years, like so. Um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it, and it's. Uh, I just remember, as I said, it's been quite quite a rise, and 
I remember we are listening to your little snippet you put on Twitter how the you were advertising the hundredth episode and you like to that first episode we did and like the fact we were talking about going back to Tree Road. It's just <laughs> like whew, it's mental and now you look you look where we are now, it's crazy, but it's a lot can change and as I said, I think a lot has changed as we've had obviously we had the relegation to talk about. It wasn't an easy season that first year, but no. um the last couple of if we don't mention the COVID null and void thing on the pitch, it's been quite successful, really, for Truro. Yeah, everything seems to be quite settled now um, with the the current owners, doesn't it? In the sense that yeah, they're just going along nice and quiet and uh, and um, you know getting things done as such. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what they wanted to do from day one. They said as soon as when I got the like the media job, they, we had, we had a chat about things like that, and they just said that they. I, I know what they want. They know what they want. The club, like the fans, I think the majority of the fans know what the club want to do. And it's fairly obvious. They're quite optimistic with what they wanted to achieve. And it's not like, as I said last week, we, as a club, we believe we should be in the National South. And we, if, if it wasn't for COVID, we believe we should, we would be there right now. We've proved that this season in the fact when, when we played, uh, Concord in the Cup, we played Hungerford in the Cups, they're full strength teams as well. Um, we've, Defeated them with ease, really, in comfortable wins. So, uh, I think we we know that we we should be the league above. And I'm still I'm confident with the owners. Paul signing his new contract is massive as well. So, we're getting a bit of stability, which is nice. Having the same manager for a decent amount of time. The squad. I can imagine now that Paul signed a new deal. Um, I can imagine yet yet will follow suit. And the, to be honest, most of the players really. I can't imagine any of them. Will, um, will want to leave really like it's especially now playing in Plymouth it's ideal for mm. them so uh, yeah I, I just think Truro is it's just it's all it's all it's all, a lot of it's very positive I know for a lot of the fans it's frustrating having to move to Plymouth for the season but you got to look at like I said there's the short term pain for the long term gain and we move on from there and we we we'll enjoy being at Plymouth and then we move back to Truro hopefully to our our new stadium which will be really positive and then they can kick on further from there. Right. Well, thanks for uh, what you're doing for the podcast, Cam, and, uh, well, all being well, we'll talk next week. Brilliant. Cheers, Dave. Your Cornish podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Rappo and Deeks Friday Fix podcast. Just go to your favourite podcast platform and search for Cornish Soccer Talking Football. And also, if you want to listen back to any previous podcasts of Cornish Soccer, they are all available at anchor.fm slash Cornish Soccer. Thank you. Yeah, Cam was with us, as I said, uh, from the very beginning, December 2018. Of course, Cam and, and Josh, it was uh, back in those days when they had no connection whatsoever, no official connection with True City. And of course, Cam is now the uh, media man at uh, at the club. So well done to him for that. And um, well, their season's finished, hasn't it now? Yeah, that's it. Deke stayed out well last night, really, mate, didn't we? We got, you know, yeah, I don't think it was uh, much of a secret, Deke, was it? But no. got the news we expected, didn't we, mate? Yeah, that's right. No Southern League. And, uh, no. well, we'll come on to the Southwest Peninsula League later, but obviously no Peninsula League either. Let's hear from another of our special guests this week, and it's a goalkeeper. Another big name in Cornish football, big in name, title and stature, it's Kevin Miller. Hi, Kevin. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Uh, now, special podcast this week. Um, we're trying to get to speak to some guys that have done it 
a little bit higher than just the Southwestern League and the Peninsula League and that sort of thing. Uh, you what seven hundred appearances probably in, in at, you know professional level. That's some going, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was pretty fortunate to be honest. Um, a few little injuries, but nothing that's ever kept me out for any length of period. So I was uh, pretty lucky to be honest. And it all started for you. Well, do I get the impression you didn't really want to play in goal? No, I played outfield um, for my age group under sort of Falmouth Town and, and Penn, even Penn Fowl before that with Dave Williams or Dave Williams. As an under-12, I played sort of centre-back. Uh, went through sort of Falmouth Town with Colin Burgess at youth level, under-14s and under-16s playing um, in midfield. <laughs> uh, and then I, I played in goal, I think, a few times for sort of the year above me. Uh, when Charlie Philpop was a year above me at the time, he, um, he either didn't play or played outfield. Uh, and then I went to Morland Smith because of my contact through Colin Burgess and the Falmouth Cricket Club. Um, and it just it went from there really from morning and then obviously Keith Rashley took me to Falmouth second team and sort of saw something in me and um, put me in goal in the second team at Falmouth. And then of course the the move that probably was a good move when you're looking back. You went to Newquay, didn't you? Yeah, I mean I went there via one game at Truro. Actually, I played for Truro reserves, um, and then Trevor put in seven days for me uh, and. There was a bit of a, a mess up with the, with the signing, and Truro put in an illegal approach, and oh. I actually got banned for a part of the year. Oh no! Um, yeah, but the Cornwall FA. So, um, but eventually I went to Truro. I went to Newquay, um, and you know we had a we had a fantastic side. I mean, quality wise and ability, we were we were superb, and uh, yeah, we, we we did really well. Won the league. Uh, had a great time with Trevor. I mean, all thanks to Trevor, really. He's, the, the amount of times he used to come to Falmouth, pick me up, take me to a game, drive all the way back to Falmouth, drop me off, and then drive all the way home to Fradden. I mean, his, uh, his fuel bill must have been quite high, I'd imagine. But what um, he must have taken a, a, a lot of uh, satisfaction, though, from seeing the likes of you and, and how your career went from there, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Keith, I think Keith firstly um, for putting me in at Farrell's second team. Uh, and then obviously he mentioned myself to Trevor uh, when I went to Newquay, so that was where the link was. And yeah, I, I've kept in touch with Trevor um, throughout my career, really. Um, quite often used to get a, a sort of a 12 o'clock text wishing me Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> he was pretty drunk, I think, with Jill. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I've always kept in touch with him and obviously a huge name in Cornwall football and uh, a big loss to, you know, to the county of football, really. Mm. So, you left Newquay to go to Exeter. Now, how did that come about? Just purely from playing, we played sort of Cliss Rovers uh, in the Dev from the Devon side, uh, Newton Abbott, and we were going so well and I think we conceded 18 goals or something like that in, in the league. Uh, and obviously I was, we were getting decent reviews and I was doing okay as a kid. And Mike Radford came and watched me a couple of times. Um, he, he watched me at Cliss Rovers playing. And they, they just offered me to come up and play a couple of reserve games to have a look at it. Um, I played a couple of midweek games at the time for them. And then the first team keeper got sent off, Dave Walters, who was a bizarrely a sheep farmer uh, mm. from Oldsworthy. Uh, so he got sent off and then the reserve keeper uh, Richard Smythe 
um, who turned out my best mate that lives in, in Exeter is his wife is married to Richard Smythe. Oh. So it's uh, the sort of sisters. So it was bizarre that I ended up taking his place because he, he split the webbing in his finger the week before the game. So he was unavailable to play. So I was the only other keeper who was on the books at Exeter as a non-contract player. And obviously Terry Cooper made the phone call and asked if I could play all three games. So it was someone's misfortune, obviously Richard Smith, um, that would have played in the three games if he hadn't got injured. And um, no one else could play. And I think it was towards sort of March, April time, I think it was then. And um, Exeter didn't have any money, so they offered, they asked me to play because <laughs> they couldn't get a player, a keeper in on loan for three games. They couldn't afford it because they'd have had to have taken him for a month. So there was my opportunity. It's pretty cr- much yeah. my chance. It, it's crazy, isn't it? How sometimes just that little bit of luck or or an opening, you know, appears through sheer sadness for someone else as such. But um, you, you never looked back, though, did you? No, not at all. I mean, you know, my dad took me up. Um, and were you he, nervous? He, he, were you nervous when you got the call up? Or, or um, you don't strike me as nervous a... about playing. No, yeah. um, I think I was nervous about meeting sort of people from outside of my sort of comfort zone, if you like. Yeah. Um, but Dad took me up with my uncle Reggie, and I trained one day on the Friday. I was only up there for the Fridays because I'm still working. And um, I was all right for the game. I was all right. I think I was more nervous about meeting players for the first time. <laughs> but once I played and I did quite well, I think I earned the respect of the, of the other players. And he thought, oh, actually, he's, right. he's a decent boy. <laughs> and I think that was how it was. I mean, playing-wise, I don't think I've really ever been nervous playing at all, in all honesty. Well, wh- when did you actually turn professional then? Um, so the 89-90 season. Mm. Uh, so it was actually... I started playing for Exeter. I signed on a contract uh, as a professional in uh, July '89, right. um, and then I didn't get in the first team until sort of December that year. Um, so I, I was sort of back up, but I was playing in the reserves because it was we didn't have a reserve goalkeeper on the bench then mm-hmm. um, in those days. Uh, so I was basically just playing reserve team football, backing up Dave. Uh, until he lost a bit of form and then I got put in the team um, we played in the FA Cup actually at Maidstone and we drew one all Mark Cooper scored and then I think we beat them one or two nil in the replay at home so obviously uh, in that time between July and December when, when you got the, the chance to make it into the first team again did you ever think oh have I done the right thing here or what to be honest, I, I was—I didn't look at it that way. I, I was just enjoying training. Um, playing football every day is what I always wanted to do as a kid anyway. <laughs> and Tony Keller was actually running the pub behind the football club, which was attached to the football club called the Centre Spot. And um, like after sort of some games and stuff, we'd come and train at the ground. I remember having a conversation with Tony, and uh, he said to me, just bide your time, you, ch- you, you know, your chance will come and you'll, you'll take it with both hands. Mm-hmm. So don't go worrying or don't, you know, think, oh, God, you know, what am I doing here? Am I good enough? He said, because you, your chance will come. And I remember that clear as day, mm-hmm. the conversation. And um, he was right. And, you know, like I said, December came. Um, we drew in the FA Cup, won the replay, and then we ended up playing 
Norwich that year in the third round. Um, it was a year they went to Bayern Munich and beat Bayern Munich three two. Yeah. So um, and we we drew the home we drew the first game one all, and we lost the return game two 0 at Carrow Road. So um, it was it was a it was a good time. I mean you know from going from playing in front of fifty people in the ex- Devon and Exeter League to playing in front of eighteen nineteen thousand at Carrow Road was. Uh, it has a big difference. Yeah. And, of course, you had good times there, Exeter, because you won the fourth division back then, didn't you? Yeah, the first year I was there, we, um, 89-90, we won the, won the league. Um, I think our, our, our home record was something like 22 wins and one draw out of 23 games. Mm-hmm. We had a phenomenal home record. We struggled a little bit away. I think we only won about six or eight games away from home. We struggled away from home, but our home form was... was Phenomenal. I think it's just a lot of it is a lot of the travelling teams coming all the way down to Devon. Yeah. You know, it's a long old trek, and I think that's probably the reason why we struggled away from home because it's a long way. But yeah, we had a really good team. Terry put a really good team together, and then um, Terry left uh, probably two year or year after that. Maybe he, he, he sort of went on to uh, Passage New. And you did as well eventually, didn't you? Yeah, I followed Terry to yeah. Birmingham. Um, a few of us did. Richard Dryden, uh, Scott Hiley, uh, his son Mark went up there. So yeah, we all followed. I mean, that was it was good for me because he was my first manager. You know, when I look back now, I had my first manager Terry Cooper that you know was an England left back in in in, um, in Mexico, and then I had the next manager was an England World Cup winner, Alan Ball. Oh right, yeah, of course. So my my two first managers in English football were real big England players you know Terry played at the, the Great Leeds team and, and obviously Alan was the World Cup winner at the age of 19 or 18 I think he was something like that so mm-hmm. you know the amount that I knowledge that they gave us was, was frightening and, and the one big thing I noticed was that at the time the two managers that we had in those two three years were probably the best footballers we had at the club <laughs> Terry <laughs> would join in in the five sides and no one could get the ball off him <laughs> and the same with Alan Ball he was just you know he was just unbelievable I always Im- um, imagined Alan Ball was quite a sort of bubbly character yeah he was brilliant I mean he, he, he would he'd be the type of manager that would really have a go at you and then on the in the coach on the way home because it would be a long old coach trip out he would go up and sort of whoever he was, you were sat next to, if he's had a go at you, he'd say, oh, get out of the way. And he'd sit down and he'd talk, you know, he'd have a game of cards and then uh, talk to you mm-hmm. and just say, listen, I know you were crap today, but, <laughs> you know, I know what you're capable of. Next, you know, Tuesday, you'll put it right. And that was, you know, that was, so he's, he's knocked you down from the game because you needed it. And then he'd pick you up. So you went off the coach on a Saturday night feeling all right, rather than thinking, oh, Christ, I was awful then. <laughs> You know, because he's picked you straight up. So Monday you go in and you're, you're full of, you know, full of beans again. Mm. Those coach journeys. So you, you must have spent half your life, half your playing life on a coach, mustn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a long old trek from Cornwall, uh, from, from Devon. Sorry, I mean, I think um, we played. I remember two years in a row we had uh, West Brom away on a on a on a Boxing Day, and we also did Wigan away on a Boxing oh, Day. Oh, crikey! Uh, West Brom at one point were our locust, uh, closest team. No, because <laughs> none of the Bristol teams were in our league. Plymouth, Torquay weren't in our league, and and West Brom were. Right. So I remember, I remember that, and I'm thinking, bloody, you know. But when you're on the coach and you're, you know, you're playing a bit of cards or you're 
watching a film, it, it did pass by. I mean, it, the long trips were normally the midweek games coming home, you know, and you're getting back at the back at the, in your car at sort of like one, two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, we, we actually drove to Carlisle once on a Tuesday night and came back, and it was, I think we got back about four or five o'clock in the morning. It's a funny it was, old uh, life, isn't it, really, when you look back on it? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, you don't have to do the driving yourself, but it's, you know, the the top boys fly everywhere or get the train, yeah. uh, you know, so it, it's quite a nice, comfortable journey, but sometimes, you know, coming from Devon all the way up to... Norwich was a long old trek and, and places like that. It was it was long, but it was all right. It, the time, you know, time went by and trust me, you know, now I work in the real world. <laughs> um, you'd swap all that again for, a, you know, for a job that you do sometimes. Yeah. And of course, we mentioned Exeter and Birmingham. From there, you went to, to Watford and Crystal Palace. Now, Crystal Palace, that was Premiership, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I was at Watford, uh, at Watford at the end of my contract. It was actually the year before the Bosman ruling came in, so right. I missed out a little bit there. But um, so my contract was up, and then I went to Nottingham Forest for talks with Vince Vince O'Keefe, who actually played for Exeter as a couple of games when I got sent off towards the end of my career, or the end of my spell. Um, he was working for the PFA, so Vince came up to Nottingham with me. Um, and we agreed personal terms, and then at the same time as I was up there, Crystal Palace came in and made an offer to Watford, which they accepted because the Nottingham Forest offer was going to go to a tribunal. Mm. So they didn't want to pay what Watford wanted, and they were going to meet somewhere in the middle, I think. But Palace went and offered the full amount what, what Watford wanted, so we drove back down to Crystal Palace, um, had my medical, uh, passed well, failed the original medical. Oh no! And then, yeah, on on a knee injury, which um, it, from my medical record said that I might only last two to three years playing with my knee. <laughs> but it was um, Steve Copper was manager at the time, and uh, Ron Nose was the chairman. Mm. And Steve said it's just a way of Ron reducing the fee. Ah right. Um, but you're fine. I mean, I like I said, I played seven hundred something games in in eighteen years, so my record was pretty. Yeah. Pretty good per, per games per season, so I ended up signing a four-year contract there instead of five, and it was the Premier League, which was the biggest coup for me. Nottingham Forest were only in the Championship at the time, right. so it was something that I've always wanted to do, and um, it, that was the, the the coup. Really, it was the fact that it was a Premiership. Yeah, and the transfer fee I think in the end was one point five million, wasn't it? So yeah, I think it worked out because Chris Day went the other way. Um, it, it tallied at I think they paid one and a quarter million, and then Chris Day was valued at three hundred thousand, so he went the other way. So I think it was like one point five five in total in the end. Right? Did you get a cut of that or not? I got a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, what's it? What's the special memories from playing at the top level in England? Being a kid, Liverpool was my team um, oh, from a young age. So it was playing at places like Anfield, going to you know Man United, playing uh, Tottenham. I'd been to Tottenham, but I hadn't played at Liverpool and Manchester and, and teams like that. I hadn't played. Um, so it was it was playing the big teams and the big stadiums and turning up and seeing the you know the forty five fifty thousand people turning up <laughs> in stadiums was like wow. This is I dreamt of this as a kid. And, mm. and you know now I'm here, so it was that was the big thing. And then obviously, you don't realise the stature of some of these players from the TV when we when we were lining up to go out 
and Peter Schmeichel stood next to me and it was like me stood next to like Rocky. <laughs> you know, he was, his, his shoulders came up almost level with my head. He was just a, like a barn door. So it's players like that and, and like Ronaldo and Beckham and people like that that you look and think, bloody are they're, they're really big guys live when you face up with them. But when on the TV, they don't look, you know, yeah. Beckham was 6'2 and he was a big, you know, you don't see it. You know, they're real athletes. So that was a big thing for me. But the atmosphere at Newcastle was probably the one that I will always remember. The the noise, you know, from the Geordies was was phenomenal. And of course, being a goalie, you're you're there. You know, you've got the crowd right behind you, haven't you? So you probably hear a lot more than than most. Yeah, I mean, um, you get a bit of banter, you get a bit of stick, which I don't mind, and it's great. I mean, you you know, you. you <laughs> You hear it all around, but you, you, it, when you're playing, you sort of muffle it out, if you like. The more noise, you sort of phase it out because you're focusing on playing. But it's just, you know, we, we went to Newcastle and then we were, we went 2-0 up. And David Speedy got, got uh, they took the centre, went back to David Speedy, rolled it back to Shea Given. And the booze around the stadium, because they were already two down, was mm. just like your hairs on your neck went, bloody hell, that's... You know, the noise was phenomenal. And when they scored, obviously it went through the blinking roof, but we, we managed to hold on there. Mm. Some different now when you watch it on telly and there's no crowds in these big stadiums, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you can see by the results that, you know, where, you know, you like Leeds, Leeds would probably be doing a lot better with their home support at Ellen Road. Yeah. And, you know, it does have a big effect on, on home teams now. And there's a lot of results going where, you know, teams are going to like, to Anfield and winning this year. So, you know, that doesn't normally happen. You know, you've got a Brighton going and beating Liverpool and mm. stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it is, it is very real. It is very surreal that you see them in their empty stadiums. But they've got it on the TV now where they've got the bit of noise, haven't they? Yeah. Which looks, sounds a bit bizarre. I'm not sure it? I like that or not, to be honest. I, I can't convince myself. No, I, I can't. No, I can't get my head around it, no. to be fair. No. You left Crystal Palace for actually a team I hadn't realised you'd played for until I was looking up some of your information. Barnsley, how did that come about? Um, you stayed there quite yeah. a while as well. Yeah, I had three years. But the the reason why I went there is because we had about three players go from Palace sort of via another club up to up to Barnsley. And Harry Redknapp, who was in charge of Barnsley, was in charge of... Uh, Nottingham Forest when I went there to, when, when I went to Forest to talk terms yeah. Harry was in charge at Forest so then he went up to uh, Barnsley and um, he came in for me again so he must have seen something in me yeah. and um, it was a no brainer to be honest because the the club at Palace were going into administration or they were in administration um, I was owed uh, quite a bit of money <clears throat> through not being paid my full wages and then uh, Barnsley came in, offered a reduced fee um, to get me off the wage bill, um, which I did, and then I had to waive the money they owed me. So it sort of helped with the with, this, with the with the transfer fee, mm-hmm. and um, I went there. But again, amazing club, amazing people, Yorkshire. Um, had three years there, but absolutely loved the the town. was was a fantastic town to to live in. And out of all the clubs you played for, the professional clubs. Which one do you sort of look back and, and, you know, is top of the list as such? Um, I would say 
Watford would would be my team Watford, because right. yeah, um, only because when I went there from from Birmingham, it was sort of a make or break uh, time for me because mm. um, I'd sort of played went to Birmingham and then became second choice when Barry Fry came in and signed Ian Bennett, and it was. I was at a crossroads in my career, really. So I went down there just to try and rejuvenate myself, really. And, and Glenn Rhoda was in charge there. And I had an incredible first season there. Um, I got two player of the years in three years at Watford, but I loved my time there. Again, the, the club is very similar to Barnsley. You know, very family sort of atmosphere from like the cleaners to the chefs to the... You know, anyone within the football club, anyone that did match day stuff, hospitality, anyone in the offices, really friendly. You know, uh, there was no airs or graces there. It was just a really great football club to, to play for. And, and Barnsley was the same. They were both very similar. Mm. But I would say Watford just edged it purely because I sort of rejuvenated my career from Watford, really, and it took off again. Oh, great. So if we fast forward... And, you know, you had 18 years, I think it was, in the pro game. Um, a lot of people at that stage would have just stopped playing. But you didn't, did you? You came back home as such, or back to Cornwall, I assume, and um, got involved at Bodmin. Yeah, um, again, that was um, Trevor's fault. <laughs> I mean, Trevor for that. Because i come back and uh, Trevor was running, I think he was running Penzance at the time. And he asked me, I was just chatting to him, and, and Alan Carey needed a goalkeeper. He wasn't happy with, or there was a situation with his keeper. And um, Trevor turned around to Alan and said, look, you know Kev's back. Why don't you have a chat with him? And that was where it materialised. I went long, spoke to Al, signed for Bobman. I think Al left pretty quickly, actually, after. So I don't know whether that was down to me or what. But, and then, obviously, Gilby took over. But, again, Gilby, as much stick as he gets through football... I would have him every day of the week as a, as a as a bloke to be alongside in a football club. Top bloke he is. We actually covered it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that, that the the trophy list that Gilby's got is phenomenal both as a player and a manager. And and you know you must have won something every season almost at Bodmin, mustn't you? We uh, yeah we did we we won quite a bit the first year I think I don't know if we won the double the first year we didn't win the senior cup for a few years when I was there no that was the only uh, one that sort of you know you you didn't get your hands on for a little while wasn't it yeah yeah I think it was a couple of years I mean Truro seconds knocked us out at home one year I remember that um, so we struggled a little bit in that but we quite often won something and then obviously we had the the little ding dong with Buckland a couple of years two mm. three years where it was us than them, which was brilliant. Really enjoyed that. I mean, the rivalry there was was, was pretty pretty good. Um, and then we went on a run where we won the, the Senior Cup two or three years running, I think. But we had, you know, Gilby had a, a good group of players. Um, when I first went there, John Hodge, uh, we had the two centre-backs. Uh, we had so many decent players, Huey Morgan. Uh, you know, we had good lads that would turn up week in, week out where as I got towards the end of it up there, players wouldn't turn up. They they couldn't make it because they were working. And it was just, it, it was a shame really because probably 10 years ago, players wanted to play football. Now football's just, oh, yeah, I'll play this week. Mm. I won't play, you know. And the, the availability of players, you know, even going back to Newquay when we had Ray and Graham Nichols, Toffee, Mike Leach, Dave Ball, the streets, 
Mm. You know, we had a hell of a side at Newquay. If you look at those abilities there, they would have won most leagues. But they were also very dedicated to playing on that particular Saturday or that particular midweek. Where now you see a lot of chopping and changing of teams because players can't be bothered, some of them. Uh, they've got other things to do. Um, and situations change but um, we had some really good lads early on at Bodmin and then obviously Gilby brought players from Plymouth down like Shane Crack uh, and, and players like that and we had a good side I mean one year we had I think we did we drop we, we, I think we won nearly all the games bar two or something like, I think we drew two <laughs> something like that one year where you know we I, I think we scored in every single game that season, apart from the League Cup final, which we beat Buckland on penalties. Oh. <laughs> Tavi. So we, we, we scored in every single game that year. So it was good. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the, the banters with, with all the sort of so-called opposition um, and some of their fans. Uh, House, I remember House in the Cup final. Yeah. Someone threw a drink at me, or I think it was drink, and... Uh, that wasn't particularly pleasant, and um, my daughter saw that, which I, I wasn't happy about. and got really upset, but that's football. You know, I can take verbal abuse and, and all that, but when it comes to something more physical, I don't think that's hmm. that's called for. And that, that after all the years of football, that sort of um, really upset me to a degree. Where I actually, I'm not a, I'm not an angry person, but I think if I could have got hold of the guy that threw that point over me I probably would have pulled him over the fence that day <laughs> um, that's how I felt because I, like I said I love banter and if anyone ever tells you it knows me you know if anyone tries to give me some they it, they get it back and that's just part and parcel of it yeah There's, you know I'll go and buy him a beer in the, in the bar after I won't have an issue with anybody we do it all the time yeah but well, um, yeah that was one that was one sour moment in my probably football career to be honest well, if you've got one regret what would it be, do you think? Um, I probably wish, because I packed in at 35, um, I probably think that maybe if I, if I hadn't moved back to Cornwall, because of uh, personal reasons I moved back um, in, in 2007, I would have probably stayed, tried to stay in the game longer, in the professional game. Because mm. um, obviously once you're out and you sort of move down to Cornwall, I mean, I went and did some coaching at... Um, at Plymouth Argyle with Peter Reid for a while and then Peter Reid got the sack when I was about to sign a contract there because hmm. of the money situation I was at Yeovil for a while um, but the commute was just too much they offered me a contract at Yeovil to coach the keepers there but again, the commute was too far for me and then when I was living in Devon I was, I was doing the keepers at Torquay but again they dropped out the league and the finances were really super tight so it just didn't materialise there so I would have liked to have stayed in the game because I, I, I certainly feel I had a lot to offer but you know it didn't materialise and you, and you move on and you, you, you do something else so that would be my only probably regret that maybe I should have stayed up up the line somewhere and try to stay in football mm. It's a perilous living isn't it really and you know what if the last question is, what sort of advice would you give to any lad in Cornwall now thinking that um, taking his first steps in the pro game? Just listen to advice. Um, people that criticise you, take it on board. It's not uh, aimed personally at you. Work extremely hard, uh, and you know, don't. There's no. There's nothing you can't achieve in life. 
if you push yourself, like my dad said, if you, I went up, then I didn't really want to go in a way. Hmm. But my old man said to me at the time, if you go and you play these three games and you never play again, you, you play professional football. Don't, you know, no one can ever take that away from you. But work hard. You know, you've got to work extremely hard and dedication is is key in in, in any job, really, and especially football. You've got to be dedicated because there's always someone else out there that's to take your place and that's better than what, you know, you could be. So you, you don't let your guard down. I mean, I worked hard during my career playing. I, I was one. I was nearly always one of the first ones out. And as keepers, you're normally always the last ones in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I did that up until I finished playing at Southampton in 2006. That that didn't change. But um, listen to advice, you know. No advice is, is bad advice. You take it and you take it as it is, you know. Great stuff. Thanks for that, All Kevin. Right. Cheers. Yeah. Still rapper, my best. Yeah, I will do. Who, who's that? Rapper? Who's Who's that? Uh, some lad that scored a couple of goals in local football. It, no, it, it, <laughs> one final thing. He does tell me that he scored five against you one day. Is that true? Yeah. I don't want to say... That, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did, mate. Yeah. At <laughs> uh, uh, Pemberley Athletic, and Athletic, I think it was a final, a semi-final. Yeah. He reminded he, me about it the six, other week, actually. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> it was only because he was sunny and his shorts were pulled up and he was glistening off his legs. <laughs> But yeah, good lad, isn't he? You're listening to the Cornish Soccer Rappo and Deke's Friday Fix. Yeah, I mean, I've played with Kev at Nuki Deke's, you know, when we were teenagers. And, and Kev's, you know, another you know, great old mate that I always speak, speak of with Clyde Deke's, you know, just listening back to his career there, mate, in your interview and the clubs he's played for. And, and under the top managers, you know, he played under, you, you forget just what a fantastic career Kev had, mate, don't you, really? I mean... And I always say, Dix, I played a part in Cavs' career, mate, because we had a pre-season friendly, mate, for Nuki at Foxhall. Um, I don't know if Cav will remember this one, mate, but Kev's dad dropped him to Troy Football Club. And obviously, you know, he's from Falmouth, mate, you know, I'm, I'm from Troy. And, and, you know, I haven't been driving that long, mate. I think Kev was like 17, I was just 18, mate. And I picked Kev up, mate, and we, we drove to Foxhall, Dix, and Trevor stepped down after we won the, the old Southwestern League the season before. So um, Terry Uddy had taken over as manager and with, with Ray Nichols, mate, cause, you know, as his assistant, because Ray had just finished playing. And uh, it was sort of Ray's first sort of step into management, mate. And, and as you know, mate, Foxwell's pitch is in between a row of houses, Deeks, isn't it? And I, I couldn't find the pitch, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously no mobiles in them days, so me and Kev was just driving around, mate. We did about six laps of Foxhole, and um, I remember Kev saying, mate, if we don't find this, find it this time, let's just go home. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I always say, mate, I mean, luckily we did, things, but um, I mean, some old chap pointing us in the right direction, mate, and we managed to drive down through the houses. I mean, we won 6-0, mate. Kev had his usual clean sheet, and about six weeks later, mate, I signed for Penryn for, you know, for Alan Pierce at Penryn. Glide mm. in and out of the side, mate. And and a week later, mate, Kev saved the penalty off Carlton Palmer, mate. You know, and, and he had a blinder when Mookie drew nil nil, mate, with West Brom. Oh right. To open the new club, like yeah. West Brom, but the first team down Deeks, and when it opened, you know, there's the new floodlights at Mount Wise, mate, and, and kind of had absolute blinder, mate, saving everything, and, and you know, saved that Carlton Palmer who played for England at the time, mate, saved the penalty off him. 
And uh, and the rest is history, as we say, mate. But I often wonder what might have happened, mate, if we if we didn't find that bits, mate, and drove home. You know, <laughs> yeah. I often wonder, mate. yeah. But um, but no, mate, another fantastic bloke as well, Diggs Kev, mate. You know, he's always the same, and you know, always always great to catch up with him, mate, and see him, mate, and you know, great interview as well, mate. You know, Grits and Kev, mate, two two fantastic ambassadors, really, mate, and they for Cornish football and. Two guys that, you know, neither of them changed a bit, mate. No. And that's the thing about this episode. It's the fact that these three ex-professionals all started playing in Cornish football, didn't they? Because I've had a, yeah. a, a couple of guys have said to me, oh, did you not speak to so-and-so and so-and-so? But these three came up through Cornish football, and, that, and that's the difference. There are others out there, you know, yeah. that have played professional that obviously... Uh, you know, possibly played, you know, a higher standard even. But these three yeah. started uh, well, where you and I did, didn't they? Yeah, that's it, Dick. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, mate, because they, yeah, all three lads had good apprenticeships, mate, didn't they? You know, like, we often laugh about grips, mate, you know, going to draw a thirds, mate, didn't they? <laughs> and, and, you know, like, you know, getting turned away, mate, and, you know, goes to Paranwell and scores like 50 goals two seasons in a row, mate, and, you know, like then Porth Levin and, yeah, the rest is history, mate. Isn't it? And Kev, you know, Kev played for Dave Ward, mate, at Falmouth. You know, Waddy's. Mm. You know, I think Kev had a couple of Sunday League games, mate, and got um, and Waddy got rid of him, mate. You know, because he didn't give him permission. And obviously, that was Nuki's game, mate. You know, Kev went there. Rest is history, there, mate. And obviously, Nigel, you know, remember playing County Youth with him. You know that. Mm. <laughs> you know that team sheet that you mentioned, like, mate. You know, the lad called Trevor Prophet, I think, started the game and. Like a year later, mate, Nigel's at Bristol Rovers and goes on the lads, what, 23 caps for England, mate, doesn't he? So, but yeah, it's true, mate. They all sort of had their apprentice. You know, like someone like Matty Everington sort of thing. Deeks, you know, Matt sort of left Cornwall at like 14, didn't he, and went to Peterborough and, yeah. you know, come up for, yeah. So, like, yeah, these lads actually, you know, had, had <laughs> you know, sort of paid their dues, really, mate, didn't they, in Cornish football before moving on to better things, mate, didn't they? Yeah, and of course, with that, Kevin as well, came back and, well, filled up a trophy cabinet, hasn't he, you know, exactly. on his return, so... Yeah, 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 you forget that, mate, you know, like when Kev come out of pro football, you know, you know, of what, 700-odd football league appearances, mate, you know, a lot of them at the top, and then come back and won, like, multiple trophies here, mate, Yeah, he? that's right. Yeah, that's true, mate, yeah. So, both ends of the scale, Kev's done well, mate, you know, pro and non-league, mate, hasn't he? Yeah, that's right. So, thanks to Kevin for that. Um, now, John Colenso came on board with us on the Rapper and Deeks podcast just over a year ago, the 17th of January last year, since when he has been keeping us informed about the East Cornwall Premier League. Now, that's been a little quiet for obvious reasons lately, but perhaps not for much longer. Football is returning. Yes, some good news at last, isn't it? A bit positive. Yeah, a big question, though, in what format? Yes, that's the, that's the thing. We've got to wait for um, the powers that be now. Now Boris has had his say. I think we've got to wait for the FA, then down to the CCFA, and then through to the leagues. What, 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 are you, what sort of feeling or you know, hints are you getting from the ground floor? Um, spoken to East Cornwall, um, we've had an email come through basically to all the management committee just to say what would our thoughts be on us returning and trying to finish the season because um, our recreational football has been extended till the end of June. So 
they're, they're thinking that there's a possibility we might be able to complete the season. It's going to be a lot of games squeezed into a small space of time, but if we want to play football, then now's our chance. Yeah, that extension of the month actually could make quite a difference, couldn't it? Because you're talking about June, so the weather should be fine. Um, yeah. You know, pitches hopefully aren't going to be waterlogged in June. Um, no. So it could actually be quite a, um, a change as to what is going to happen. you still got the same problem, though, of the likes of Lou. they got 24 games to go. Yeah. You know, what have you got, 13 Saturdays if uh, it's open yeah. now until June? That's, that's yeah, still so a lot of games. It is. It's April, May, June, isn't it, we've got to play in. And like you say, we've got 23 games. Lou have got 24. Um, and there's a lot in our position, really. I think, yeah, we're we're some of the worst off, but there is a lot in our position. And the other thing to think about with Available Saturdays, Dave, is also our Dutchy side of, will also be doing the same, if you like. So yeah. I think I've worked out we've got like 43 games to cover between <laughs> us. Um, so even though it's great that football's back, there's still a mammoth task to get it finished. Mm. What about um, the other yeah. alternative of um, perhaps everyone playing up to 15 games, which would be half the way through your season, and then whoever's top are champions? Um, it is a good idea. Um, obviously, the likes of Mount Gould that played most games would only have like two or three games, um, which they may not be happy with, but some of us are still, that would give us sort of eight games. Um, to try and catch them up a little bit. It's a fair reflection. That's half a season then, isn't it? You can sort of judge where you are. But again, it's the same old thing as last year's Null and Void. Dave, where Mount Gould won't have played St Dominic at all, who are challengers to them. And Well, that's where you, you know perhaps the fixture secretary has got to do a little bit of work and actually try yeah. and compile the fixtures the best he can so that teams play teams they haven't already played. Yeah, so of like Mount Gould's three games, one of them would need to be St Dom sort of thing. Um, we haven't played Mount Gould at all this season. We haven't played St Dom at all this season. Yeah, so um, make it a priority that you play. That those two are definitely yeah. two of the games that you play. Yeah, so I mean, us and St Dom would have been in the East Cornwall together for two years and never actually played each other. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, which is a shame, but. Yeah, that's that's one way. Or do we get up to 15 games, everybody, and then roll the season on to next season in case, God forbid, we get the same sort of thing again next winter? Yeah, there's a few that are suggesting roll it on, but the only problem with that is, uh, well, as I see it, if not all the leagues do it, surely it's going to be a bit messy, you know, if anyone wants to apply for stepping up into the next league and things like that. I mean, if we finish our season, so we play all those games that we've said about, play them right up to the finish to complete the season, we still won't get promoted or relegated. Why not? Because the higher leagues aren't doing it, aren't competing, are they? So if we say like step oh, six right. yeah. and step seven aren't competing, how can we get promoted into St Piran if St Piran haven't completed their season? We don't know who's going to get relegated from them, do we? So therefore, uh, some teams surely will might say in your league, well, why bother them? That's that's the issue, yeah. I mean, if we're not all doing... Do you know what I mean? We're yeah. just a step in the ladder, aren't we? If we're just the middle steps and the top steps and the below steps aren't joining in, then how do we go up or down? Yeah. Are we busting the gut to complete a season that 
we don't get any reward for anyway, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes, we get to play football again, but I mean, there's I've, I'm assuming there's going to be like a gap in the St. Piran League because uh, Weybridge Reserves pulled out, so they're a team short, and they for their numbers, they should have 16. They've even got 15, haven't they? So there's a space there, but how do you decide who goes up? I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, there is is another suggestion. Who wants to go up? St Dominic and St Stephen, isn't it? They've applied to go up, yeah. Right. Well, you have a playoff between the two of them, home and away. Yep. I hope these call Premier League are listening to this. I'm sure they will. All these suggestions. I'm sure they will be. I'm better they're sat down sketching it out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's one way of deciding the promotion, but. Do we all bust a gut? You know, it's a lot of games, Dave, isn't it? If I was a player, I would 100% be buzzing to play football. Yeah, but we know, we know what's going to happen, though, John. The yeah. players are dead keen at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, four weeks into the restart, and if it's not injuries, it's going to be holidays. You know, people are now going to be, as, what, from the end of May or whatever. Hopefully, there'll be summer holidays involved. Um, yeah. Uh, I think everyone as a family is going to want to have a summer holiday this yeah. year, so yeah. so they're not going to be available. I, I can see it being carnage, to be honest. Yeah, I can. And there's the other thing that people have been furloughed for six months. So the third Wednesday into the league, say, you've got Boss Castle away on a Wednesday night. Hmm. Excuse me, Boss, can I finish early to go and play down at Boss Castle? Yeah. You've just been on furlough for six months. Are you going to get away with doing that? Mm. It's it's quite it's a big ask. There's a lot of there's, there's a lot of issues that have to be covered off. It's just not yeah. as easy as saying, "Oh, great, football's returning." You know, when right. do, when can we start playing? Is it exactly that? It's it's fantastic for the players, like I say. And if I was a player, I'd be chomping at the bit as well. But if you're a volunteer and four of your other volunteers are elderly and don't fancy doing it, you end up washing kits, uh, cutting grass, doing the lot, and it's a lot of games to be doing that for. It's not, do you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. busting the gut for three months' worth of football, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still, obviously, the COVID rules to apply to, and you've still got to get changed outside officially, yeah. um, which we did manage at the start of the season, but it's not particularly nice. No. Um, there's no pubs to go back to afterwards. There's no clubhouses to spend a few quid in. So it's football, but it's not football. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot. There's lots of pluses and lots of minuses. But at the end of the day, it is down to the FA and the CCFA, isn't it? What what actually will happen? Yeah. Um, I think a nice sort of tournament to finish the season would be, you know, would be better like a World Cup knockout tournament. Everybody gets some football, but it's not flat out hectic. Uh-huh. You know, it's just a, a, a nice casual ease back into football and just enjoy it a little bit. And also, and, I guess, not compulsory. And not compulsory, absolutely, because, yeah, there there is going to be cricket issues, isn't there, for some teams. Um, it sounds like some teams sort of, they get to May and they hand the keys over to the cricket clubs oh, right. and walk away. So it's it's going to be a tough one. But yeah, we've got to leave that to the powers that be and hopefully they come up with something sensible. Yeah. But I, I think it would just be nice to have a mellow end to the season and maybe start the next season early. Go, let's go in July. But to yeah. go out now for three months with no training beforehand, remember, I know we're not superstars, but, mm, but you can get a lot of injuries if you don't do some training. So those three months of Saturdays and Wednesdays, actually, we've got to fit some training into that as well mm, beforehand. Yeah, true. So there's a lot of asks and a lot of... A lot of hurdles to jump, but we'll see. We'll see what happens.
obviously you you have to await the decision from the, the from the league and the county FA. Yeah. When does one suspect there might be something coming out about this? It would be nice to sort of get the just to be able to speak to the CCFA, make contact with them. I know they're furloughed as well, the same as a lot of other people, but just to make contact and just see what their initial thoughts are, just so we can semi-prepare. I mean, let's be honest, we've got a month now to sort of prepare ourselves for what might happen. So let's let's have an early decision now if we can, and just so we know what's going on, you know. I mean, as I speak to you now, it's piddling down with rain again, and there's a lot of wet pitches still out there that have been left mm. in a little bit of abandon, not knowing what's going on, aren't they? So you know, there's pitches to get back up to scratch as well. So presumably the league are in contact with the FA, County FA about this? Yes, we've, I mean, we've, like I said, we've had an email from the league to the clubs, um, or sorry, to the management committee, and then obviously get our thoughts whilst they wait for um, a reply from CCFA. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing then the CCFA is knocked on waiting for the FA, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah but I think that's going to be out fairly imminent, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's um, pretty much it then for the moment, isn't it, as far as the East Corner Premier League goes and uh, the restart. Um, yeah. It's, it'd yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. John, you've been with us as the uh, East Corner Premier League sort of representative for 13 months, I reckon, now on the podcast every week. So... Thanks for joining us. Um, it's our 100th episode today, so uh, hence the reason I'm mentioning that. Unless you, you know, in case you didn't know, you got any sort of memories from anything you've talked about that stands out or not? Yeah, just a couple, well, from a St. Clair, from a personal point of view, just a couple of good results at St. Clair have had, and I've been able to tell everyone about it and talk about it. Um, but I just, I think the podcast has been such a great thing to keep the football community together a little bit while while everything's been locked down that's been the you know it's it's the highlight of a lot of people's week to be honest it's just you know you can't go and watch football you're stuck inside at least it's something to look forward to every friday every week and i think people do really appreciate what you and rapper have done dave to be honest and when they're not listening obviously they're reading your magazine as well aren't they? <laughs> oh i wish yeah <laughs> <laughs> right then john thanks for that plug and I'll speak next week Yeah, thanks to John there. Of course, um, he'll be busy wondering whether to start marking up the pitch, I would have thought, Rapu, won't he? Yeah, that's that's it, Deeks, isn't it? I have a sort of thought, actually, Deeks. I mean, I suppose the extension to the end of June gives the league a chance, I guess, Deeks, but a bit of a headache for the cricketers, though, isn't it, that play football, you know, what, (laughs) what to do, what to do. But... But I'd be up for watching some East Cornwall Premier League summer footy, Deeks, but can't see it, Deeks. Can you put some good points from you and JC, though? I mean, you do wonder what's what's the point uh, with no promotion and relegation, don't you? But then, you know, obviously the players may turn in a few ankles on those horrid pitches. I mean, even JC's soggy corner, Deeks, could be rock hard, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, mate. Imagine all those sliding tackles, Deeks, you know, the oh. grass burns and yeah. stick, you know, we've all been there, mate, and we yeah. sticking to the bed sheets at night, mate, you know, but, but good point from JC, I thought, Deeks, you know, let's, let's start the, you know, next season early, you know, get, I know you said end of July, but, you know, maybe the first Saturday in August, mate, you know, yeah. cracking and, 
Yeah, ease the winter strain a bit, maybe, Dix. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? With the more so in the Duchy of Trelawney, um, they don't really start until September, do they? So, no, that's, that's right. Mind it you, I suppose, like a month. Yeah, yeah, is some of that because of cricket? I suppose I don't know, but um, yeah, those that yeah. can, perhaps they should be concentrating or trying to get an early start. Who knows? But um, yeah. Yeah, maybe the ones with cricket pitches, mate, could have a few away games at the start dates, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure it could be worked out. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, well, I don't know how quickly the East Cornwall Premier League will decide, and obviously it does, they've got to await the county FA, I suppose, to, to uh, agree yeah. to things as well. So maybe, maybe a couple of weeks yet, but uh, we will know yeah. as soon as obviously John knows. So that's the yeah. that's the beauty of having John on board. So if yeah. and if anyone out there is is keen to plug their their own league that they play in and want to become part of the podcast, we'll get in touch. What, what's your Twitter account um, again? Yeah, it's uh, at Mark Ratsy one. <laughs> That's my very original, it is <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, right. Well, just just thinking back about the podcast, and obviously it's one hundred today. What are the bits that you've enjoyed putting out about it? Oh, crikey, mate! So, so much, really. Because we've had, <coughs> excuse me, mate. We've had, we've had some good laughs on here, mate, haven't we? Um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get a letter from the Queen, though, mate. Do you for one hundred? But... No, a telegram, perhaps, <laughs> is it? Or... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, no, no, just like your interviews, really, Deeks. You know, I always enjoy that. You know, like when they come through on my phone, and we've had some cracking ones, haven't we, mate? Over the, you know, like not necessarily people that you think would be as well, Deeks, isn't it? You know, like the, you see a different side to people, don't you? And and uh, I mean, there's been so obviously like you know, Dane always comes out of a cracking interview, done it, Matty before, and and like Mass, you know, always interesting and. Yeah, well, loads, you know, I quite enjoyed Andy Avery, mate. Remember, we had Avery's on mm. a couple of times when Sticker were, yeah, he was really honest, money and, and, well, loads, really, you know, just off the top of my head, mate, trying to think of, you know, all the, you know, Westy, I always enjoy listening to Westy, mate, and, but yeah, yeah, I think really, I mean, your interviews, I think, Dix, really, I, you know, I enjoy listening to, but I just think it gives a, you know, a, a People get to this, you know, sort of hear things they wouldn't normally sort of uh, hear, mate, wouldn't they? Sort of really, you know, yeah. you can read papers and read about clubs and all, but sort of getting it from the horse's mouth, Deeks, is is good, mate, isn't it? You know, Ashy and that, mate, and uh, you know all the top clubs, mate. You cover that, don't you? You know, Mosel, Salt, Ash, Alston, mate. You know all the former, all, all the top teams are late, really, Deeks. I mean, you, you know, you've had some fantastic interviews with all of those guys, haven't you? So. Well, we try yeah. and we try and keep up to date with what's happening on on the local footy scene, don't we? And uh, yeah. uh, and that again is thanks to the guys that we talk to. I mean, without them being prepared to talk to us, um, it'd be a bit of a waste of time. But only recently, isn't it? We've we've had the, the likes of Alex Black on uh, regarding the the reasons behind True, yeah. you know, leaving True Road and that sort of thing. So uh, we, we yeah. try and keep it relatively topical and, and uh, current so that's good um, I mean there are things that of course we've had to put on the shelf perhaps um, betting tips yeah that, that idiot mate you had, to get, <laughs> you had to get rid of that idiot 
I remember it when we first started, mate. I won the night first three weeks. <laughs> yes. I, I thought, thought flipping net, mate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the good Cornish folk a few grand here, mate. I well, just, I actually considered. I've only ever, do you know, I've only ever bet uh, officially. This is, um, yeah. you know, on the Grand National. That's about the only time I've, I've yeah. been into a bookies, and I almost. With the success you had in the early podcast episodes, I almost started you know, to have a bet, but I decided not to, and it's just as well because you know it was it was very good at the beginning, but yeah. we went on a long run without any success, didn't we? We did, mate. Yeah, <laughs> so, I went on that. I went on that famous run, mate. Well, I got one wrong every week for about nine weeks, mate. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Remember, one team mate was three 0 up with ten minutes to go, mate, and they drew three all. And I thought, I thought perhaps the writing is on the wall here, Dick. Yeah. So. And it, perhaps <laughs> it wasn't responsible of us to be uh, encouraging it. So we, we, no, we, it probably wasn't, mate. No. Yeah, it, in hindsight, Dick, it was probably. I think we was only thirty quid down at the end, mate. So I suppose it's worked out pretty even, didn't it, over the yeah. shows? But you know, but like you say, mate, it's probably, probably you know, one of the things that had to go, mate. Got yeah. voted out, Dinks, as well, didn't it? When you've done the survey. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. It wasn't that popular uh, worldwide no. either, so... <laughs> no, it wasn't very popular anyway, was it? No, that's true. <laughs> I've forgotten about that as well, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and obviously at the moment we aren't doing the, the our own little sort of internal football predictions. You know, we haven't had a Desmond no. Tutu mentioned for weeks, have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> Old Desmond's gone underground lately, mate. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. Right, so where are we? We are... Oh, yes, we've got our other, our, our next special guest on. Uh, this is a guy that we obviously know a little bit more about because it's Dane Bunny from Soldash United. Um, now, many people might say, what's he doing in, in an episode when we speak to some really famous football names uh, from the local game? Why on earth have we included Dane? Well, shall we find out why? Now, do you know why on this special 100th episode we've invited you along? Um, I don't think you can get enough of me. Probably <laughs> why. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, well, we've had, uh, I reckon we've had over 400 interviews in the sort of three seasons that we've covered and over 176 different guests but the what, the man we've had on most is Dane Bunny. Would you believe it? It's <laughs> probably why your figures are so low all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dane Bunny of Salt Ash United. You are the man. So, what's happening with this season then? Oh, I don't know, Dave. First of all, congratulations on the 100th show. Oh, uh, thank you. you. Brilliant. I think it's been fantastic what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and look forward to another 100. Um, in regards to this season, I haven't got a clue. Um, <laughs> just like just like everybody else. Um, you know, it's... Um, I don't know. Everyone's got their opinions on what should happen and what shouldn't happen, what can and can't be done. And every time someone throws an idea up, someone's got an idea of why that won't work. And, um, you know... So we just have to wait and do, and we'll do whatever we're asked to do. So in the ideal world, though, what would you like to do? In an ideal world, I'd like to finish the season, but... Okay, I well, we've I, don't, all, I, don't, we've, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, I, I think we've all learned in the last year that we're not living in an ideal world. Mm. So, 
Um, you know, I, I, I can't see the season finishing. I, I think, you know, I don't think we've got much of a chance at all, to be honest. So, um, you know, in an ideal scenario for the position we're in, I think if we can play some cup games just to get back out on the grass would be good. There's, there's talk of a third kind of um, some sort of COVID cup. Mm. aptly named or, or, or you know uh, yeah. if, if we can get something done so so we can have a few games and great um so we're not waiting until june july for pre-season again um you know what? if not then that's exactly what we'll have to do yeah so what what's the feel amongst the players because i get the feeling that you know obviously the players are very keen to start playing again but have they thought of all the you know the, the issues that there are in the sense of the pitches have got to be kept up to scratch the, the obviously the ground staff and I, think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day footballers just want to play football like you know I mean they don't really worry about things like that they just want to play football it's it's, it's people's hobbies and, mm. and, and, that, and that's what they want to do they want to get back to some kind of normality and play football um, and, and I think that's really um, you know the, the, the kind of way of thinking is, is let's just play mm. um, you know the pitches and that shouldn't take a lot of putting back together but they haven't had a lot of action on them you mm. know I mean granted m- maybe not a lot's happened on the pitches since since we closed down at Christmas but I don't know I'm not a groundsman but I can't imagine it would take a massive amount of work to get them up to be able to play in April like you know so um, who knows who knows um, I'd like but to answer your question I think footballers just want to play football yeah because the other issue is um well, for for Sodash in step six of the National League system, it looks as if you're not prepared to play behind closed doors anymore. This is a league, obviously not Sodash. Yeah. Um, so you got to wait until the clubhouses are open, or, or at least you yeah. get some crowd in to get some money, I guess. I think the crowd thing is the most important one. I think it's important we have we have people coming through the gate, um, the clubhouses being able to open serve outdoor outdoor um, alcohol you might get away with for cup competitions as a, as a kind of a um, unique scenario at the end of this season I mean maybe that could could get through I don't know you know um, you know who knows I mean I'm just trying to hmm. just trying to figure out ways to, to, to play again really but it's um, yeah you're right on the National League system it's, it's tricky but at the end of the day, like I said again, I think people are at the point where they just want to get back to playing. So it's um, you know we we let the people who, who who make the rules kind of argue about clubhouses and things. And, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. out of your hands, isn't it? Really. Yeah. So, so over the obviously COVID's been with us now for two seasons. In that time, Sodash have been up amongst the top of the table. Mm. Um, I guess. Everyone at the club, and, and not just Soldash, it, it must be Maisel, Helston and, and the likes, yeah. must be so frustrated that you haven't been able to take promotion. Yeah, desperately. I mean, last season, I not the one we're just waiting on now, last season, mm. um, we must have had about seven or eight meetings in the before COVID about how to fund the Western League, how we're going to play it, how, you know, and, and we really got things prepared off the pitch to go for it um and then obviously covid hit and and um and and that was the end of it really um but yeah really frustrated the players are frustrated because that 
you know, they really want to try themselves at a, at a higher level. Um, we think we've got a team that can compete well at that level as well. So, you know, the players are really frustrated more than anyone. Um, but it is what it is. And I think it's not like we're the only ones in the situation. Everybody's in the same boat. Um, we have to try and remain as positive as possible. And, and um, as soon as we get the opportunity to get promotion, we take it, make sure we take it. So um, that's exactly what we'll try and do. Yeah. I think um, I've seen you be being quoted somewhere that you would ideally want to take promotion if you won the league or if you're in the top two as such. But there's sort of mumblings that there might be a few sort of gaps to enable clubs to move up through the pyramid system. Would you take yeah. it even though the, the season might be null and void? I think, I think I'd have a duty to the players to take it if it was offered to us. Hmm. Um, but from a personal preference and a personal point of view, I'd like to have a, a manager, a league win on my CV. <laughs> yeah. um, from you know a pure selfish point of view, but I think it would be really selfish if I was offered it and, and turned it down. So because the, the players, the players really want to play in that standard, like you know. So um, and the club want to be at that level too. So I think if it was offered to us in some sort of season conclusion, or I think I think yeah, we'd probably take it. But, um, you know, me personally, again, in an ideal world, I'd, I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like to win the league. So I've got that, you know, on, on my CV and, mm. you know, so I haven't won a league for so many years. I'd, I'd love to be the first one to do it in that time, like, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes of things this week, I guess. What about the Senior Cup? Um, what, what do you think might happen with that one? I'm hoping it gets played. Um, we obviously haven't played a game in it yet, so uh, I know it started a couple of rounds, yeah. um, but I'm hoping it gets played. Um, you know, we've been in the last three finals, so if, if we can get get the competition going again now, and that would be certainly a, a target for us to, you know, gives gives teams an opportunity to end the season with some kind of silverware as well. So um, it'll certainly be a competition that we take very well. All the competitions we, we'll, we'll take very seriously, but that one means a lot to us. Uh, we've, like I said, we've been in the last three finals and we've only won one. So that's not a great record, really. I mean, people say, well, you know, they've been in the last three finals, but for me, it's not good enough because we've only won one of those finals. Mm -hmm. So um, we should be winning more if you're in three finals for me. Yeah. But, and um, uh, do you think, though, that actually at the start of the season we were we were thinking, oh, it was all a bit doom and gloom outside of the Saltash camp in the sense that, you know, you lost uh, your top goal scorer and all this sort of thing. Have yeah. you, well, have you done better than what you thought or actually were you quietly confident that Saltash were going to continue and, and be the, you know, you must be one of the, well, you must be the most consistent South West Peninsula club over the last few years. Yeah, um, I never had any doubt that we'd carry on where we left off. To be honest with you, I mean, we were never, we were never a one-man team. Ryan scored a lot of goals for us, but we were never a one-man team. Um, I'd already been there for five years before this season, so there was that continuation as well, or continuity. Um, and within the camp, it was just like kind of business as usual, and, and it was never a question of. Um, you know, are we going to take a dip? And I actually used it to our advantage. I stood in front of the lads and said, look, everyone's writing you off because Ryan and Matt's gone, so what does that say about me and you? <laughs> you know, so mm. so we kind of used it to our advantage, and 
I think we proved the point. You know, we went far in the FA Cup and we were level on points with Mosul when the when the season ended. If anything, we were a bit disappointed that we dropped points against Nuki and dropped points against Sinostro at home. We think we could have done better. Mm. Um, you know, we were the joint top. No, we weren't the joint top goal scorers. We were the top goal scorers in the division. Mm. Um, you know, which again speaks volumes considering we lost a guy who scored over 50 goals every season for us. Um, so, no, we didn't do better than I thought. I think we done, you know, I think we were pretty par for the course, to be fair. And you're still bit or adding to the squad. Um, you, you must be one of the few clubs that have had a, a transfer made over the last sort of six weeks. Jared Woods has, has joined the club. Yeah, lovely. Good signing that. We, um, we tried to sign him about uh, probably about 18 months ago. We've tried to sign him twice before. But I think when his dad left Liscard, that the window of opportunity opened up even more so. And it was just one of those things where you thought, well, if I don't sign him now, he might go somewhere else. So um, I just decided to take the hit and, and get it done. It was a bit tricky because of lockdown <laughs> and things. But um, yeah, you know, Did we, I see we, you we, had to – what did you do about the signature or something? You had to – scan it or something like that yeah scanned it and emailed it forward and back and <laughs> and things like that so um yeah it was a bit tricky and uh but we got it done and and he's uh he's he's now part of the squad so i said like to um carl who you had on last week yep. um you know i said i don't know if he's uh a signing for now or an early summer signing, but you know, time will tell on that front. But but nevertheless, good signing. He's um, he was certainly one of this guy's best players, and you know he, he he stood out in that team. So when he's playing, you know, in 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 a, in a in a in a team towards the top of the table, you know, I'm hoping that his game will go to another level again. Like you know, so um, he'll certainly be good for us. He'll add depth to what we've already got too so because next season I'm hoping that with a full and proper season we can kind of attack every competition I I kind of sacrificed the FA Vaz this season because mm. of our FA Cup run um, so next season we want to have a go at all So you're going to have a heck of a squad there aren't you, you're going to have selection problems <laughs> yeah, yeah it's good but you know I mean <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the idea isn't it so it's, um, it's a great problem to have and and uh, the problem we have is, is is every single player in our squad expects to play. So you're right, it is <laughs> going to be a problem. Um, but that's the trick of the that's the trick of it, isn't it? to try and keep everyone happy. How many so, players have you got? If everyone's fit and available, how many players would um, you have? Any idea? Twenty, I think. Yeah, twenty. Oh, right. it, but at the start of last season, it was about I think we had twenty-two at one point at the start of last season. Right. And um, but that was including two goalkeepers. Um, so yeah, twenty with one goalkeeper now. Right. Um, not not as many as I thought, but uh... no, no, but but you know, twenty really good quality. So um, and what we've what we've done is is over the years, Dave has created a environment where we make availability and commitment key to everything. You know, I mean, we've had lads who who who, who now have to say no to their wives to go away for a weekend because they know they won't play for the next three or four weeks, you know, so um, afterwards, so it's, um, we've created that kind of environment where, you know, people are afraid to miss games um, and, and and I think that's 
part of of the reason why we we're quite consistent and, and, and successful at times. So it's um it's all good. It's, it's it's you know it's um like you said at the start last summer when when it was doom and gloom outside, it was just a case of keeping the wheels turning. And I think the key to it was 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 keeping the wolves from the door last summer, keeping the squad together and. As soon as I kept that squad together, I knew we'd be fine. All right. So you had a few clubs sniffing around for players, did you? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it happens most seasons. And, but last summer in particular was quite bad. I mean, Parkway came in for five or six or, you know, and um, even the physio. <laughs> and we managed to, managed to keep them away. Obviously, we only lost Ryan and we had... Uh, we had the Reese Thompson thing on the day of the cup game, and and all that kind of all that kind of lot, which is in the past now. But the key for it, the key for it was was to just keep everybody together because together we've got a really fantastic squad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way they were going to become a bad team overnight. So it was um, it was just a case. That was the biggest thing I had to do was keep them together, and mm-hmm. and, and that was that really. So after that, it was. Um, it was it was it was good fun after that. We really enjoyed it. <laughs> so it was it, we can kind of looking at the season now that's about to finish as, as a kind of a dress rehearsal for next season. Right. So, okay. So, well, so I'm kind of looking at it. Yeah. Any any idea when you might expect to hear something from the league as to what is happening? Well, I mean, at time of talking to you today, Wednesday, I, I'm I'm under the impression there's some kind of meeting with the FA today. Right. Um, so maybe later, so maybe could... by the time this, maybe by the time this goes out, we'll know, but yeah. it, you know, hopefully I think we need to know. I think it's important now that we get some kind of answer so clubs can plan and do, you know, get on with things. So it's not a case of the league's going to go null and void and everyone's going to shut down. You know, I've already been contacted about friendlies in the summer. <laughs> so, you know, teams are already starting to look towards the summer. So, you know, if there's not going to be any league games and then for whatever reason there's no cup games, we can plan early for pre-season. So um, that's what we'll have to do. But to do that, we need to know what's going on. And, of course, you've got the, uh, well, not quite unique, but a sort of uh, um, unusual situation there at Soldash that you might well have, what is it, your third team might still be able to complete their season, mightn't they? Yeah, that that annoys me a little bit. Not not because of the third team. I mean, it just annoys me that like because of rules that you know they're adults and we're adults and and um, because we play at a different standard on paper, we we can't finish our season. But one um, of the one of the downfalls of being in the national league system, really, isn't it? That yeah, you have to yeah, do whatever yeah. they tell you to do, and that's it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, but the third team are. You know, I mean, a lot of the time people think grassroots is either all of football or, or kids, and and I, and I think like those those fair team lads, they can go in the bar after and buy a pint, same as we can, you know, and in normal circumstances, um, and they they just play the other side of the wall. So, hmm. do you know what I mean? And it's just it just baffles me a little bit how one group of adults can finish their season and the other group another group of adults can't but it is what it is and you know like I said earlier we'll just have to do what we've got to do but if the third team are going to finish their season and can play into June then brilliant I'll I'll go and support them I'll go and watch their games and you know it'd be excellent and I'll no doubt have one or two lads who want to go and play 
Well, I was going to ask you whether you're going to get them all signed on. <laughs> well, to, to, to be fair, if we don't play in April and May, and I've got a couple of lads who would benefit from playing games in June, and that will keep a match fit right up to the start of pre-season, you know, yeah. then, then that's what I'll speak to the fair team manager about and see if I can get sorted out, you know. Mm. So that's only going to benefit the club. So, And it will benefit the fair team as well because it will help them. You know, so yeah, I'm not going to shy away from that. I won't flood them with it. Maybe just one, maybe even just one or two. But you know, anything to help them out, and and then in turn it will help us out. So um, yeah, I don't mind. But hopefully they can, uh, hopefully they can finish their season. Yeah, that's the main thing. Right. Well, thanks very much, Dane, for coming on. You're top of our league because obviously you're always available to talk to us. And um, Rappu and I, a big thanks for that. Uh, for you helping us out over the uh, couple years and uh, may it long continue yeah brilliant no problem Dave I'll, I'll come on whenever you whenever you need me to to help uh, keep the show going and again congratulations on the on the 100th show you and Rack will do a brilliant job with it promoting local football and um, you know it's great to listen to and people that I know who who are not necessarily involved in local football always send a message and say oh so and so's on the podcast today or heard you on the podcast and you know so it, it's definitely a talking point so uh yeah keep up the good work you're listening to the cornish soccer rapo and deke's friday fix well done to dane deke's i mean we should we should get him a, a double hat trick ball or something mate shouldn't we <laughs> <laughs> put on his shelf but um but yeah i mean you get with dane mate don't you you always get a frank honest good interview mate and Benedict, you know, and it's always a good and interesting listen every time, mate, isn't it, really? And, you know, I think Dane's conducted himself, like, brilliantly lately, mate, because, you know, said it a few times, Salt has got more reason to be, you know, pretty fed up, mate, than any other club, aren't they, really, with all this going on? And, I mean, frustrating time for everyone at Salt Ash, really, mate, but they're doing the business on and off the pitch, takes of the club, aren't they? And, you know, but can't get promoted because of, you know, bloody COVID, mate. So, but they're heading in the right direction, mate. And, you know, hopefully Lane, you know, stays there for a few years, mate. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be a big success, mate. You know, when we eventually do get back playing full-time digs. Yeah. And the stats are, um, as we keep saying, this is our 100th episode. In that time, I reckon we've spoken, and including today's interviews, that we've spoken yeah. now to about... 178 different guests um, that's uh, 404 interviews that we've broadcast um, and that's not including the ones when we speak to Cam and Phil and, and obviously yeah. John since he came on board so that's excluding those but here's my league table of the top five that have appeared on the podcast um, and that'd be Interesting one, mate. And it also includes people that there have been perhaps audio clips that, you know, I've taken from Parent Films provided us with a couple and uh, I've done, you know, post-match sort of clips and that sort of thing. But with 10, these are only the the ones in double figures. And in fact, we've got three that at the moment are on 10, 10 times they've been on uh, different episodes. And... uh, well, no surprise, Sparky, Mark Smith, is yeah. uh, very consistent. Uh, he's been, uh, well, in the, la- in the last three seasons that we've covered, um, 
he's been on at least three times each time each season. So uh, that's uh, yeah. Mark Smith it's in Allstall. Also on ten, Steve Massey. No great surprise there either. Mm. And um, Matt Cusack, who oh, yeah. of yeah. course. Uh, I enjoyed the awards program we did last season. To be honest, at the end of, of the end of the season, and Matt, of course, was the manager of the season, wasn't he? So uh, yeah, yeah. On thirteen, your friend and Falmer's friend and my friend Andy Westcott. Yeah, good old Westy. On thirteen, and then Dane Bunny. Well, actually, it's fourteen. It'll be fifteen with today's. Um, but uh, yeah, Dane on fourteen. So hence the reason why Dane. Is amongst the uh, the mighty Gritton, Miller, and Martin. So uh, just in case anyone's <laughs> wondering, you know, are they listening to the correct podcast? But um, yeah. So thanks to Dana, and like I said to him in the interview, he's always available. He's always prepared to say something, and uh, you know that that's the sort of people that. Uh, we like, isn't it? The ones that are always regular and um, yeah. the ones that are always prepared to, to come on the podcast. Yeah, great to Yeah, I forgot, like you say, mate, Sparky, mate, I always enjoy Sparky. And Macca, mate, you know, from Nuki Deep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, loads, you know. I mean, I'll probably be sitting in my chair later, Deeks, and think, oh, flipping that, yeah, you know, him and him. You know, like you say, there's so many, like, great blokes we've had on, mate, haven't we? And, yeah. and well done to you, Deeks, you know, because... No interviews any good unless you ask the right questions, mate, are they? So, you know, well done to you, mate. Yeah, well done to you. actually, on eight, we've got Macca, Brown and Paul Rowe. So, um, oh, Rowe, yeah, Rowe, yeah, I love Rowe. <laughs> yeah, Rowe's always a good laugh, isn't he? Yeah. Seven, yeah. Jack Barbary, Neil Slateford <laughs> and Sean Vincent. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. there we go. We could go on forever on this, but um, we must yeah. move on. Next up. I'd like to see that league table sometime, Deeks. All oh, right. Right. Well, I'll send yeah. it to you. But, yeah, um, thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Next up, our third regular on the podcast. It is, of course, the man that knows all there is about Southwest Peninsula League football and especially all the rules and things like that. And this week, he's even got some news for us. It's the league's secretary, Phil Hiscox. Yes, finally, 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 we have some some definitive news. Still, there's some things to be ironed out, but we have the, the main definitive news that the league season for all leagues at steps three to six has been curtailed, whatever curtailed means. Well, that was going to be my next question, actually. There's a lot of concern. Well, I don't know, concern, that's not quite the right Speculation word. Speculation. Uh, there's a lot the of word. thought about that word, curtailed. Yes. Now, I've just seen... On the Cornwall Football Forum, someone's suggesting that because it's only been curtailed rather than declared null and void, or last season was declared null and void, does it mean there's some speculation that promotion might still be on the cards for clubs or what? Yes, but I think you're jumping ahead a little bit. First of all, the FA reasoning, and this was quizzed by the, by the people on the Zoom meeting last night, um, about the use of the word was that some leagues had objected to the word null and void. Um, and interestingly enough, there was a, this um, debate, wasn't there, last season about whether goals and appearances and things counted or whether those games never really really yeah. took place. Yeah. Uh, so that, that part of their answer was was that curtailed recognises that those games did take place. Right. Um, which, in another way, issues a different quandary, because if this season's games did play, take place, then surely, in reality, last season's games <laughs> yeah. took place. Um, 
I suppose from a practical level, people will like the goal scorers and things will be pleased that they are, their goals are officially count. Mm-hmm. Um, but one little um, area that made me smile, uh, Stoke Gabriel have the, suffered this season the highest ever step six defeat in the Peninsula League. Now, under last season's null and void, you would assume that you'd have to take that out and it didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. But under curtailed, I'd say it did happen. So it will have to stay in the record books. For sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that, there's an interesting little, little one. Now, jumping ahead then to promotion and things, I, I think you know, that there's two issues there. Firstly, the, the step two vote um, we, we was a legally binding resolution, which may well be challenged in the courts if you okay. believe some of the step two clubs. But let, let's just leave the courts to decide that for yeah. a minute. But nevertheless, it's a legal thing. Um, and theirs was a vote for null and void. So the FA normal proposed restructure, which was the steps one to six has been amended to steps four to six um, because clearly there can be no additional promotions and relegations between steps two and steps three. Mm-hmm. So that would be particular interest to our Truro City listeners. Yeah. Um, the, the, the actual wording has been changed from, from one to six to four to six as a potential restructure. That in turn also means there are less places available to go up if that's what they decide. Now, what they did announce last night is that they've agreed to have a feasibility study um, as to whether it is practical to do that this season. And if if so, they will come back with some firm proposals as to how that would be managed. I don't think anybody's going to speculate that it would be just on a handful of games played this season. I think it would be a longer playing record that would be examined as well as ground standards and ambition. Um, and I think it's also worth pointing out uh, two other little things that came out of the conversation last night. Firstly, that no club would be forcibly promoted. It's, it's not the full restructure in terms of mandatory promotion. Um, and secondly, that no club would be forcibly relegated. Mm. Now, the interesting thing about no club shall be forcibly relegated means that the full restructure, again, can't happen because mm. although there was double promotion proposed in the, the original restructure, there was still some relegation. Mm. Uh, now, any club that would have been relegated that now isn't going to be relegated means that there's one less space at each step for promotion, isn't there? I'm, I'm guessing. I'm following through so the map. So they won't the number of teams in a league to accommodate no. the clubs that don't want to take relegation? Correct. So, right. so let's take Western League Premier. Currently runs at twenty-one. Yeah. Under the previous full restructure, it would have lost um, four clubs upwards and two clubs downwards, right. and gained in eight clubs. Sorry, gained in six clubs, the equivalent number of clubs, two from each of West League Division 1, Peninsula East, Peninsula West. Mm-hmm. Now, under this proposal, there may not be four spaces for clubs to go up from the Western League because the Southern League um, won't be relegating its bottom clubs. So there's still hope for your Plymouth Parkways and things of the world because they might well be in the top one or two. But if you're third and fourth in the rankings, there may not be space for you. Mm-hmm. And equally, if the bottom two in Western League Premier Division don't have to be forcibly relegated anymore, 
there may be less spaces for the teams from Peninsula League and West League Division 1 to take go into there. Cool, blimey, this is getting awfully complicated. <laughs> Which is why I think we go back to the fact it's a feasibility study, and it may well be that when you go into all these issues, that they, they decide <laughs> that it's actually far better to leave it 12 months and have a final league table with a set of rules. So all they, the FA have said is it's a, it's a feasibility study. They will then, if, if there's anywhere to come back, they will come back with what the application criteria uh, and, and all the rest of it would be. Now, the $100 million question is, when will the results of this feasibility study be announced? Because we've already got teams and clubs saying, you know, what's happening to us for next season? Yes, I, when I, are I they going to know? You know I, I think we'd have to be, the first word there would be, have to be patience. <laughs> They've only just announced that they're having a feasibility study. I, I guess the FA argument would be that you wouldn't normally know if you've been promoted or relegated until May. The AGM season is June. There is no specific hurry. <laughs> I don't think the public. I'm are saying agree that with that, my spicy by bottom lip. I agree, but I'm just. We want to know, though. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, I had a couple of managers last night on sort of texts and WhatsApp and things, and I said, uh, "Slow down, slow down." Oh. <laughs> we don't know a whether it will happen. B how many spaces? Let's say, I, I, having a quick calculation of things, I, I'm sure that the the I want to say suggestion that the wording that there would be no forcible relegations means that there wouldn't be this specific number of promotion spots. Mm. There would be less than normal. So it's only going to, uh, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's only going to be a handful of clubs that would benefit, not... not and isn't yeah. it going to be interesting, though, to how are they going to decide who does get Promoted. And this is why I'm thinking, actually, you know, you need to wait to let them do their feasibility study because it's perfectly possible. We've already, in, in the last five minutes, raised lots of questions. <laughs> um, no doubt those questions and more will be raised, and they may decide as part of the feasibility study that actually it's too many questions and not enough answers. Yeah, I, I think they're really uh, heading for a, well... A major issue here, in the sense that you know clubs are going to get all excited and and want well, to they know shouldn't get excited the because to all the, these questions ASAP. Yeah, well, I think the clubs should should probably slow down and not get too excited because all the FA have announced is a feasibility study, and they have said they will come back if it is feasible with actual criteria and dates. But at this uh, moment in time, then they've given no indication when they might come back. No, absolutely. Absolutely no, no intention at all. But mainly because you know, they're still dealing now with the fallout of the league this league season being curtailed. People are, are, I'm afraid to say, some people will be running before they can walk on this one. Yeah, well, no wonder though, is it really? It, it is no wonder. The problem with football, and particularly when we're not playing football, is everybody talks and speculates about everything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, again, you know, from a moral argument, is it unfair that Truro City can't get promoted to step two because theirs is a legally binding resolution, but Parkway might be allowed, or, or I don't know, a Helston or a Salt Ash or a Mausel might be allowed. Uh, like I said, there are so many questions. Um, 
Oh. The, you know, it's, uh, the other interesting thing that came out last night was about ground grading. Uh, a, they confirmed that, that the ones that are in the system have got the additional year, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, but also advice now to ground grading officers that they can't start ground grading uh, any applicant clubs until March the 29th, because that's the date when the government's stay-at-home order mm. is lifted. Right. So, again, you, you talk about all these things, but we're talking over a month away before even a ground grading officer is allowed to go and look at a ground. Yeah, and nobody's going to the Southern League from the Western League or for, to the Western League from the Peninsula League or from the uh, St. Piran League to the Peninsula League without a grass inspection. Right. And we can't do them for another month, as you heard, it's by law. <laughs> right, so it really is put the brakes on, everyone. Yes. And... Wait, know, and wait, wait and see. Goodness I think me. What, 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 I, I, when I asked that question about curtailment, I, I didn't expect you to come out with all this, to be honest. <laughs> there you are. It's, it's a, I, my, my advice would be, you know, <laughs> we know the league season's finished, so that's that's a black black and white. Yeah. That's no problem. We know the FA are having a feasibility study, therefore we have to wait and see what that would be, and then you have to tackle what they've come up with. And it, they would obviously have to come up with a series of criteria that they themselves wouldn't want such a criteria that allowed every club, irrespective of where they were in the table, to apply because mm. they'd never be able to handle it all. Yeah. So they're going to have to come up with some quite specific criteria as to who it might apply to, and it would only apply to clubs that, that want to do it, which is different from the previous one. And then thirdly, there's no relegation or no compulsory relegation rule. A club can ask to be relegated, but no compulsory relegation means that there, there isn't quite the number of spaces. There's no point digging out the full FA restructure and saying this is the number of spaces available mm. because that's, the goalposts have now changed on that slightly. Right. And the, the clubs that want to take promotion... Is that geared on whoever said they want to take promotion, you know, sort of 12 months ago I think, or what? I think we're, no, no, because there's no no promotion applications for it steps four, five and six. Right, it's, it's purely form, if they end up yeah, in the top. normally regarded as, com, as mandatory promotion based on your league position. Right. Well, the, the, the FA have said there is no mandatory promotion and they're not going to force a club no. to, to, to take a promotion they don't want to take. Um, and, of course, there is no official final league table. No, no matter no. how many people on Twitter and social media <laughs> come up with various league tables counting various games over various periods. You know, again, this Project oh, this... Non-League says counting last seasons and this seasons, but what gives them the right to say that? What, why not include the previous season? <laughs> why not do it over a five-year period? You know, there's all you can make an argument if you're a club that benefits from calculating yeah. it a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can see this as being even more of a total nightmare than what I expected, to be honest. And I'm which is why I think. Yeah, which is why I think actually we, we, we often have to also understand that it is quite possible that the FA feasibility study will be that actually it isn't feasible. <laughs> the feasibility that is, yeah, that is, study will decide it's not feasible. Right. I think I think that's I think that's perfectly legit. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they're there to do, isn't it? Is it feasible yeah. or not? Is is what their task is? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they, wow. so they may decide that it's not. That. <laughs> 
sorry, I, I just can't stop laughing about this. It's it, it's it's more of a conundrum than I ever expected, to be honest. Yes. And in some ways, last I suppose it, it, it puts last season into sheer, you know. Nothing almost. Well, does it? Because last season the FA got so much stick for just saying 70% of the But it was straightforward last that's season. Yeah, and know, I, I think the FA were bitten by that last year. Well, now they've gone the got. other way, I think. Uh, yeah, that, well, it's like the consultation they did this time round, didn't they? They they took weeks to announce the, the results of the survey, and then when it comes out, the reality was over 55% of people ticked option A, which was to null and void. <laughs> well, actually, they could have stopped and done, not bothered doing any of the other pie charts and analysis based on the first vote. Yeah. <laughs> but they still went ahead and did all the analysis of people that came up with different scenarios. Um, but essentially, you go back to the original one, that the 55% nationally, interesting enough in the peninsula, they break down it was 60%, had voted for option A. Yeah. End the league season. <laughs> um, so, again, I, I suppose the FA now can't get criticised, or, well, I suppose they can be criticised, but they can't get the same level of criticism because they can demonstrate that they asked the clubs and that nationally 55%, locally 60% of clubs voted to finish the season. We'll, we'll, we'll mm. argue about what wording mm. the survey used and what they used, but effectively that's the, the decision. Right, OK. We'll watch this space on that one. Um, of course, the obvious question is going to be from everyone, how long do we wait? But we don't know uh, the answer to that, do we? So I, I would caution against expecting news within weeks. Right. Uh, I think the mere fact that you can't even do ground inspections to March the 29th yeah, true. means that yeah, there is no hurry from them because it, even if they decide to go ahead with some sort of scheme, they will then have to publish what the criteria is, and that is bound to include ground standards as well as playing records. Right. Bound to. It's just, in, I mean, it's just interesting to, to even consider how they're going to think about you know, on where clubs have finished in the ta in the recent tables. I mean, without even the ground grading thing coming into yeah. play. But um, yeah. well, okay, well, so, <laughs> no. so, yeah, we'll be talking about that one. And, and I don't. And there's no point you talking about it next week because I don't think there'll be any further <laughs> forward on that one. No, I'm not. I'm not going to make the, you know, this promise that I've got news for you each week. I, I think that one will take a lot longer to come up. With. No, I, I, th I think this that th that could run for weeks and weeks and weeks. To be honest, yes. so we'll, we'll it could. In effect, it could run right to May, which is, and the FA argument, like I said earlier in the conversation, yeah. would be that would be normally when you'd be playing title deciders and things. So it's because you know what nothing. clubs are going to say no, and well, you know, we want to prepare for next season. We want to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it is still only February. Is it? It's nice and sunny. It can't be. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Well, it's, it's sunny because we're not playing football. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's a very interesting uh, initial part of the interview. I wasn't expecting you to tell me that. I was going to next ask what happens next. We've been told the season, this season, 2021, has been cancelled. So obviously you're busy doing all the fixture cancellations yeah. on full time and that sort of thing. Yeah. But. As far as 2021 goes, what happens next for you and the South West Peninsula League? Right. The, the first thing is um, there is still the option to play cup competitions. So that's the immediate focus is 
I'll be physically going to play more football. I'm not going to be into the realms of preparing for next season and shutting down this season until we've decided what we're doing with cup fixtures. Uh, now, that's existing cups like the Cornwall Senior and the Demerson Lukes, um, cups that are already sanctioned like the Walter C. Parsons Cup, and a proposed, uh, I haven't chosen the exact wording of it, but we'll call it a COVID cup for the moment, mm. a one-off competition, um, which we're, we're going to propose. Now, there's two big issues about whether those will go ahead. Uh, the first is in our hands, the second isn't. The one that is in our hands is how many clubs in the league actually want to enter it. Uh, so the first part of it will be, uh, I've already spent some of this time, you know, in the last few weeks when I've had no football results sheets to do, drawing up a, a written proposal, changes to rules and, and all the rest of it as to how it might work. That will be going to the clubs uh, this week um, with a sort of 10-day window into the week after next for them to respond to say whether they would be interested in in a entering. We're not going to set a, a minimum or maximum number at this stage. Um, clearly, if, if there's very limited interest, that, that will be an issue for us. Um, but you know, the, the first thing is to find out what the interest is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other slight concern, uh, it was raised last night, and this is also a concern, I believe, for Step 7, which uh, the FA haven't made a statement about yet, but may well be making one soon. There is still an issue that the government white paper that they produced on Monday when Boris made his roadmap does not currently allow or, or mention the spectators' uh uh, COVID risk assessments, use of dressing rooms, all those sort of things that were in place before this lockdown, whether those conditions still apply between March the 29th when outdoor sports can resume and May the 17th when uh, capacity at elite level starts to kick in. Right. Um, one would assume and hope that the the previous set of rules and, and the, allowing 300 and things will be allowed. Um, but the FA are still waiting on clarification on that. And that also has an interest in, in the FA VARs, which the, the FA themselves are continuing. Um, that they've told the clubs like Plymouth Parkway to prepare to play that in April. But at this moment in time, they can't go selling tickets and things because they need to know whether it's behind closed doors or whether it's, it can be open to spectators. Right. Okay, so the the COVID Cup, the proposed COVID Cup, isn't going to be compulsory. Uh, no. Let's just get this clear. It, it is, you know, for the clubs to choose whether they want to play in that or not. Yeah, they'll get a consultation paper. Um, I want them, I'm going to give them 10 days, and I want them to have a, a chat within them themselves, you mm. know, the manager, the players, also the treasurer and the groundsman, uh, and decide, you know, whether it's something they want to do or don't want to do. Mm-hmm. One thing I would say is if they enter and the competition starts, then the rules would apply. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't suddenly get the draw and work well, no. out, well, actually, we don't want to go and play that fixture. Yeah. Um, but there's no compulsion to enter. Right. Uh, and, and whether it will run, let's say, well, I'm not going to say, you know, we've got to have 16 or 20 yeah. or whatever entries, but clearly we've got to know the level of interest. Yeah. And, and sorry, the League Cup, what's the situation on that? 
Right, the situation is that the COVID cut would be a, a group cut. The, yeah. the initial proposal is groups of five drawn regionally. Yeah. Each team, uh, and the reason for five rather than the World Cup four, is a group of five gives five match dates, of which each club would play on four of the five match dates. Each club would be guaranteed two home games and two away games. Yeah. So that's fair. So that's that's the thing there is is to give clubs a chance there. So a regional cup on a group where everybody gets two short away trips, two short or local derby home games. Mm-hmm. Um, then, if we had the full complement of uh, eight groups, then you, that would the group winners would produce your last eight. Um, there may be other calculations if we don't have a full yeah. complement, but let's assume for the moment it's a full complement, so that will give you your last eight, uh, and then your group winners can sort of play off the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. Right. Okay. The Walsey Parsons would be, we want to try and keep it as much as possible to the normal situation, so whoever wins it can claim on their honours board that it was correctly won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only changes we are proposing is to extend the regional drawing by one further round than normal. Normally it's the first two rounds drawn that get you down to the last 16. We'll extend that by one more round to get it down to the last eight, just to save travel. You know, we, we don't want Axminster versus Mausel mm-hmm. in the current climate, do we? No, that's well, right. well, I don't think we do. No. Um, um, so it, it will reduce... Um, that it would only be the quarterfinals where you could have something as as, as far as that, um, and we will have to look at the player eligibility rules for the semi-finals and finals because clubs haven't had the league games to get the minimum number of appearances in. Okay, well that um, sort of clears up your thoughts on that, um, and obviously you know clubs, <coughs> excuse me, clubs are going to have the say in, in but important that they chat it through with, you know, all the members yes. of the club, isn't it? And yes. you're giving yeah, them the yeah, chance yeah, to I, do that. It, you know, it's been get set up and proposed and, and, you know, gone out to club representatives on the board, you know, people like Paul Handy at Health <coughs> and John Mead at Lenzant. So the club people have looked at it yeah. um, to see, you know, whether it's likely to be attractive, but up to each individual club, you know, to decide whether they want to get on and do pitch preparation and, and not play in it, whether the players don't want to bother coming back that's absolutely fine mm. um but if there's sufficient interest and we're able to run it we will um and if there isn't well there isn't but at least we would have tried yeah okay right well um is there anything else we haven't covered off in the latest developments i think that's enough for developments for one week isn't it <laughs> have they done that feasibility study yet or not no not yet oh yeah <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, um, this really sums up part of why we we started the podcast um, a couple of years ago. As as you probably know, today is our one hundredth episode, and, and Phil, you've been with us all the time, haven't you? Uh, yes, I have. I bet you never thought when when you said yes a couple of years ago that you'd be speaking to me every Thursday morning, did you? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I think you've probably done more Rapper and Deeks podcasts than Rapper has, to be honest. But, um, I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been sunning yourself in Egypt or wherever. But um, I would say, though, Dave, I, I think it's been a useful exercise from the <clears throat> league as well as uh, from you know the, the, 
podcast angle, it, it's a chance. And I know people on both sides of the border listening week after week. I mean, the Secretary of Sidmouth tells me he always listens. <laughs> Good. So, and it, they find it useful to know what the current thinking is. So that discussion we've just had there about feasibility studies, it's useful that clubs might be aware of how it's sort of going to develop, what the pitfalls are, rather than and hear it. I wouldn't say from the horse's mouth, because that, that would be Wembley itself, but hear it from, from uh, somebody who's actually thought about the wider issues. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that just sums it up for me, what we've, uh, we've been talking this morning, to be honest, because I, I, this word curtailed, I hadn't really thought about it too much, uh, but obviously there are people out there thinking about, you know, the... the more important wording and and uh, yeah it's it's amazing and uh, and we thank you you know phil i know apple and i you know we appreciate the likes of you and cam and, and john that come on every week sometimes it's not been easy because let's be fair we've been doing this for two years and a bit and there's been a lot of lockdown in that time, hasn't there? So yes, there's not been an awful lot of football. Though, <laughs> That's right. Do you remember what a football match feels like? Do you know it, it is actually going out of my system now um, yeah. that Saturday isn't football day anymore almost. No, um, no. and that, that is a big worry going forward and whether people actually have got <clears throat> used to not doing football on Saturdays. Yeah, and yeah. that's one of the concerns that the clubs have got to put in to whether they continue the season or not, isn't it? The, yeah, yeah. Uh, and know. even their plans for next season, you know, they, they, they can't assume that everybody will come back on day one, you know, eager to go us football nuts football anoraks will be there for yeah, sure yeah. but yeah we need everybody there yeah do you th- I, I know it's difficult to look forward um because of so many things that are happening but do you think next season will be as ordinary a season as it can be i hope so i, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you follow the government sort of roadmap of sort of June, you look at things like Reading and Leeds festivals happening in August, you've got to at least assume that next season will start on time, which is better than this season. Mm. Um, I do think, and I probably at the time won't make any apologies for doing it, I will probably do next season's fixtures again, maybe not quite as heavy front-loading as I did this season, but certainly some front-loading to the season, because you know we're all going to be a little bit wary, haven't we, mm. of of, of this COVID thing. I mean, it's the weather can cause enough trouble over the years, um, but COVID and the, the like has given us a, a fresh dimension to consider. Yeah, that's, that's right. And um, one interesting thing I think about the COVID though, and the thing is, is how the FA have changed what were previously set in stone rules, which uh, I think might come back to bite them at a later date as well. Can you enlarge on what you mean by that? Oh, previously, when people like Callington were made to play eight games in two weeks and things because it had to be finished by the last Saturday in April. Mm. You know, now when they're t- prepared to talk about extending to the end of May and things, well, you know. I mean, they should be a bit more flexible, though, really, yeah, shouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, but, but COVID has, has, has proved that things can be different yeah. to the way things always were. Yeah. You know, 
the the idea of um, not having replays in in the early rounds of the FA Cup and FA Vars. I don't actually think it's a bad idea. It saves clubs a lot of money mm. in terms of midweek travel for for replays. Yeah. You know, just because things always were doesn't mean to say they always should be. No, and and you know, I'm I'm very much for that. You know, we shouldn't just stick to what we've always been used to. So, uh... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and uh, we talked about this the other week on league admin. You know, being able to like last night email the board members saying right well these are the issues this is the, the, the curtailment is black and white there's no point really having a meeting to discuss that we can't change that um the cup thing in reality we need to know what the level of interest is before we decide to do it so actually rather than have a meeting this week should we have set a date for clubs to respond by and have a meeting the day after mm. yeah. yeah which modern technology allows you to do doesn't it whereas previously hiring a room and traveling to salt ash meant that you were restricted to, to certain dates yeah uh, of course the only downside about that is that we all expect to know that much quicker as well don't we you know uh, the punter yes. is yeah. press you know putting pressure on the likes of yourself to give yeah. the answers before you've even raised the question almost so it, it makes it um a little bit more you know difficult for you to to well, um keep everyone happy well, i've given up keeping everybody happy <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'll leave you on one bit of good news, Mr. Deacon. Oh, yes, right, OK. I, Friday afternoon, 10 past two, I have my first COVID vaccination. Oh, so, good, uh, right, yes. So there you are. Well, that, that is good news. And, uh, I mean, that is the good news. And seriously, you know, the, the quicker we can get everyone vaccinated, the better, isn't it? And um, It is, it is, because that's got to be a large part of the way out of it. I'm not entirely sure it's absolutely everything out of it, but it's certainly going to be a large part for a lot of people. Yeah. That's true. Right. Well, that's a good place to end. We thank you, Phil, for coming on every week. And, well, we wish you the best of luck over the next few weeks and months. Um, yeah, I'm not going to mention the word curtailed until, well, what do we know, end of Feb, oh, end of March. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, t I'll take you at that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Your Cornish Soccer Podcast. I mean, wonder how long the FA took to come up with that particular word, mate. I mean, they curtailed a season that's been 30% played, but null and voided last season that that's been 80% played. I was going to I mean, say, is curtailed going to take over from null and void with you and expunged? Yeah. Love the words, you know, they come up with, mate, the, the feasibility study, mate. I mean, it's like Boris's roadmap, mate, isn't it? You know, the, I mean, I know the FA drive me mad, mate, but uh, it's not about a roadmap. But, but I think Phil summed it up, mate. I, I had to last week, you know, you two. And um, I think you summed it up perfectly, Phil, mate, when he said the, the, the possible outcome from the FA's feasibility study is that it's not feasible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's brilliant, mate. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it'd be just about right, though, Dicks, wouldn't it? With, uh, I'll tell you what, it'd uh, surprise everyone if, if they, you know, do have loads of promotions, wouldn't it? But, um, but I can't yeah, see yeah. it. I can't see it. Can you? Nah, I just, surely. How are they going to yeah, decide? Get, I mean, you know. yeah, exactly, Dicks. You know, how can you not, not decide? If you didn't do it last season, mate, you, you can't even possibly think about it can you this season so uh, and especially in a season let's be fair there's a lot less games played this one isn't there so yeah so yeah exactly and the other thing is well how long are they going to take over it i know that phil phil said the word is patience but um you know everyone wants to crack on don't they really 
get this, get yeah. you know, that's, this one done and dusted as, as much as it, it can. Yeah, that, that's it, mate. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know about you, mate. I just want this all to be over, and it's the middle of July, mate, and we're looking forward to watching, you know, some pre-season friendlies, mate, don't you? And thanks to Phil, mate, though, mate. You know, I know a lot of people look forward to hearing what Phil's got to say every week. Mate, he's a font of knowledge, isn't he, Big Phil? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, like you've already mentioned, mate, so... Yeah, thanks to Phil, well, John, and Cam, mate. You know, Phil, like you said, mate, everything they do on the show, mate, brilliant. Right. Okay, so we've got one interview left to hear on this monster rapper and Deeks 100th episode, and it's another goalkeeper rapper. Yes, mate, got a couple of beauties on this week, mate. Haven't we? Glad I didn't have to play against them too uh, <laughs> very often, mate. <laughs> glad, glad they went on the better things, mate. Well, it's our 100th episode today of the Rapper and Dicks Friday Fix, and so it's only right we get some big footballing names on that actually started off playing in Cornwall. And Nigel Martin, heavy transport. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, great memories, really. Um, yeah, I, I left school at 15 coming up. I was 16 in the August, and I think I left at about the May. Um, so I've been 15 um, and had given up playing football um, and wasn't wasn't doing too much really just looking for a job as as you do at that age and then my brother came home from work it, the season had already started and everything um, and he came he came home from work and he went they're asking if you want to play in goal at work and, and I went, really? And he went, yeah, well, I told him that you're quite good over the park, over Bethel Park, when we have a kick around. <laughs> so do you fancy going and play for them? So after a bit of persuasion, I went, oh, go on then, I will do. So um, I got picked up um, on the Saturday morning and, and off, off to play my first game and um, really enjoyed it and, and sort of took off from there. But, um, you know, all, all through school and, and the majority of my sort of boy football I was I was playing out outfield so um I always wanted to play in goal but because I could play outfield school teams and boys teams sort of probably felt that I was more used as an outfield player at that yeah. time so you wanted to play goal who, who was your sort of favorite professional goalies at that time then um things I really looked at I was looking at Ray Clements Neville Southall believe it or not I mean I, yeah. I mean I ended up luckily you know Ray Clements was my, my coach when I managed to get in the England squad and and you know I've played against uh, Big Nev on a, on a few occasions so it, it is quite surreal really when you're you know as a young lad sort of watching match of the day on a Saturday night you know looking up at these guys and it wasn't very long after suddenly you know you're um you're playing against them or, or you know, teammates with them. It's uh, it's very surreal. Yeah, but it, it's crazy, really, isn't it? Because you went from heavy transport, you played for Bugle and then St Blasey. How long were you at Bugle and St Blasey? That season at each. Right, OK. And yeah. is, it, is it true that, I've I read somewhere, that it was a Bristol Rovers tea lady that spotted you playing for St Blasey? Is that right or not? It's not far off. It was um, a guy called Gordon Rowlands who owned the carpet shop in St. Blasey. <laughs> he spotted me, but he knew the tea lady ah, right. um, at the training ground at Bristol Rovers. So he rang her, unbeknown to me, and said, you know, we've got quite a good young goalie down here. Um, perhaps you might want to go and, you know, have a look at him. Um, 
And I think she went and told Jerry, and Jerry said, well, get him up for a trial. So that was pretty pretty much it. I went up, um, trained Thursday and Friday and played half a game against Forest Green Rovers, I think it was, on the Saturday. Um, and then was preparing to leave thinking that they weren't that interested because nobody had said anything after the game. <laughs> we showered, we'd gone in the bar, and, and then... Like, you know, my mum and dad had come up and um, my wife's mum and dad had, had driven up and, like, oh, you know, a, a mini contingent from Cornwall had come to watch the game. And we were all sort of trudging out thinking, well, they can't think much of me because they haven't said anything. And then um, Jerry Francis came running out of the club. He said, where are you going? I said, we're going home. Going home. We've got a long drive, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he went, well, hang on a second. And, and he basically said, look, what, what, are you, what are you earning at the moment? And I was working at Hungbush Plastic, so you know I was I was getting a bit of overtime. So luckily I added the overtime on top. So I said, look, you know my top line's ninety five quid a week. So he went, well, we'll give you a one year contract for one hundred and five a week. So oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> it was the tenor that done it. No, <laughs> no it, was, it, was, it was. So you yeah. did it just for money, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for ten quid a week. No, no. I mean the opportunity of something like that, you, you know, you just can't. You can't turn it down, really. It was, it was an opportunity. Um, my wife Amanda and I, well, we were in the process of of getting everything ready to get married. We would do th- this game I'm talking about would have been on probably something like about the 27th, 28th of July, and we were due to get married at St Mary's at St Blasey Gate on the 22nd of August. Oh, right. So, um, you know, one of the first things I did with Jerry is have a discussion with him about that. And he said, well, on the 22nd of August, we're actually away at um, Sunderland. So <laughs> you might have to do something. So uh, I, I, the Monday morning, I, I drove back and I was up there, um, obviously, to sign my contract and to um, start training sort of full time. So, you know, it was all left to Amanda to all reorganize and... Um, you know, we 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 got it for the seventeenth of August, which was a Monday. So right. um, we actually had a week leading up to that, where Amanda turned eighteen on the tenth of August. I turned twenty-one on the eleventh of August. I made my football league debut on the fifteenth of August, and we got <laughs> married on the seventeenth and moved away. It was oh, just crikey. you know surreal as a week and very very young, yeah. um, and just going on an exciting adventure really. I know, and and what what an adventure though. I mean, at that time, obviously, the, the thought of appearing in England colours and World Cups, well, it would have never ventured into your mind, would it? No, I mean, this was this was a was a huge step. You know, you're, you're used to playing in front of. I mean, I, I, I was quite lucky. I managed to get a couple of Easter Monday uh, Cup finals in a row. So, <laughs> you know, the problem yeah couple of thousand people there would be the most you know you played in front of and um all right I, I think my home game for rovers um bristol rovers at twerton park it was probably three and a half thousand people so yes there's more but it, it wasn't like a lot more sort of thing but um like i said my second game was was it was at roker park in front of about 17 18 000 and Ooh. um Rovers were favourites for relegation and Sunderland were favourites for promotion so you know it was going to be a tough game um, 
and we managed to get a one-all draw up there and, and I did all right actually I played okay um, and I just remember them scoring with probably 15 minutes to go and like you know having a dive trying to save the ball or whatever the ball's gone in and, and being on the ground and the ground vibrating with the um, no. it was at the Roker end as well yeah. and you know the ground the, the floor was vibrating with the noise coming from and I thought oh this is it, it's actually exciting all right I've just let a goal in which isn't great but um, it's, it's really exciting and and once you taste that you want more of it sort of thing so yeah. well that's amazing and I, I know that I said to Kevin Kevin Miller you know that obviously you're the goalie so you you've got a lot of crowd right behind you on your shoulders almost haven't you so it, it feels even more uh, electric doesn't it yeah yeah we do and and you know they're they're, they're either yours or theirs and, and when they're yours um, as long as everything's going too well and you're not sort of letting lots of goals in or the team's playing poorly it's it's quite a friendly place and and you know there's been there's been away grounds or whatever where you go there and you know the, the home support are there you know sort of barracking you and whatever and to be honest it's it, it, it for the most part it was good banter you know you get the odd idiot if you like but you just yeah, it's water off a duck's back really you, you know you're, you're concentrating on what you're doing yeah. more than uh, what's being said about it when Jerry Jerry Francis offered you the contract did you have to yeah how long was it before you actually said yes I I said yes right away. I I'd got the time off work for the Thursday and Friday. I booked it as holiday, um, but I told uh, sort of my boss that you know what it was for, and and his basic reply was you know well good luck and if you do it don't worry about us sort of thing. <laughs> um, so um, to be offered that straight away, I I, I just said yes straight away um, because you know. It, it's it's just a great opportunity, and and then and then it was the uh, I, actually I think the Monday I I spent at home because it was a case of having to go to back in and explain to to work. Okay. Were, they were all great to be honest, you know they were they were over the moon for me, um, and you know that that went pretty easily. Um, but then you know the the next, you know, I think that night I had to drive back up to Bristol, and you know next day you're in full training and. You know, when you're used to training sort of one evening a week and then playing on a Saturday and, you know, having mum's pasty at two o'clock and <laughs> kick off at three, yeah. um, which I would do at some lazy <laughs> suddenly to go into sort of professional football, which in the lower leagues, it, it is, I mean, it was obviously more professional than, than what I was used to, but looking back on it now, you know, it wasn't the same as when you sort of get to the top division. It was, you know, then then things really change. Yeah, I always get the impression. That, and, I mean, you started professionally at Bristol Rovers and you played for Crystal Palace, Leeds United, Everton, and we'll hopefully talk about those a bit more in a minute. But I get the impression, like down here in Cornish football, there's still quite a gap between, you know, South West Peninsula League and, and the Dutchie League. It's the same in the football league, isn't it? Or professional game, isn't it? There must be yeah. quite a gap. I think there is. I, I, you know, when when we look at players that have played professionally coming from Cornwall, there 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 isn't enough. There hasn't mm. been enough of of players that even in the short time I was there that I've played with that I know could comfortably have done it. Mm. 
So, we're, you know, yes, there is a big gap, but the really top players that you get there could play in, you know, professionally in, in sort of third, fourth division or division one and two as yeah. it is now. Um, and then you don't know where your career can go from there because some people that can, you know, that can be your level, but others it's just a stepping stone because you just, you have, it's almost untapped potential down in Cornwall that, that, and it's still the case now. They don't really, there isn't enough sort of scouting down there. Um, you know, they're much happier to take, um, players out of the bigger cities mm. and, and run with them than they would to sort of probably get somebody up. You know, you have, you have to be really, really, really exceptional at your age group to, to even get a chance of, of something like that. And I think that's a bit, a bit disappointing really um, mm. that there isn't more because I, I, I definitely think over the years there could you know there's definitely been more players that have played you know Southwestern League or whatever level and you know could have made a, a career you know had a career in the Football League at yeah. some at somewhere and, but just haven't because of circumstance yeah and, and circumstance one of those circumstances I mean I've known players that have gone up for trials at, well Bristol Rovers for for one and they've found it was so far away you know in miles that they thought oh no I don't like this you know I'm used to living in, in Cornwall it's not for me and uh, yeah that, I, I, I don't think it's quite so bad these days but um it, yeah you know there are there are a few that have sort of turned down the opportunity but that's why I asked you how long you took to decide because for you it was uh, a no-brainer wasn't it well, yeah, I mean, you know, as as good as you know, I, I was working in a in a plastics factory because the pay was slightly better than um, where I was before at Smith and Trefry as a clerk in a coal office. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 you know, you, I'm, you moved into factory work because it paid you a bit more, but obviously, it's you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not it's not the biggest um, you know wage in the world down there. You know, and it's. Mm that's that's the sad thing from home but you know i think there was more of a um well i ain't moving you know yeah. that sort of that sort of mentality perhaps and and i think you're right i think that that is changing because um you know in, in whatever walk of life you're in you know if you've got an opportunity to do something or go somewhere and and you know, expand. I think people are doing that more now, probably from from the county than were probably back in the day. But um, you know, I'd, I'd still like to see more. You know, going into professional sport. You know, we get, we get the odd rugby player and and cricketer and all that. But you know, just I'd, I'd like more. It, it it would be nice to to you know look out for some more sort of Cornish men and women in in sport, and it's it'd be good to. Um, to follow them really if you ever uh, hear or see a cornish person playing sport now do your ears prick up and sort of you pay more attention or not definitely definitely <laughs> uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm proud of where i'm from um I'm, I'm i'm sitting at home at the moment and i've got a cornish flag fluttering in the garden <laughs> um <laughs> you know that's <sighs> i we we live in yorkshire now and, and i say to a lot of people up here um, that Cornwall and Yorkshire are the two counties probably in the country that are most proud of where they come from. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between Yorkshire and Cornwall. You know, the the rugged coastline, the the um, the moors. You know, there's 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 lots of and 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 the friendliness and the um, you know a bit more sort of open door policy, if you like, with your neighbours. There is a lot of that that's the same, but you know you don't experience that. Well, when we lived in London, when I was playing for Palace, you know, it wasn't you know anywhere near the same as as it is out in the country. You know, it's so um, it's it's you know we're very very proud of where we come from, and so so of course you know if we uh, if we see um, you know anybody um, coming from from Cornwall, you know, be it the rugby lads or or the cricket lads or or football lads, you know, I'm always looking out for them, and uh, you know. Fingers crossed, you know, they have good careers. That's yeah. what you hope for. Good. So, Bristol Rovers, how did it go at Bristol Rovers for you? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it went really well. I mean, we were favourites, as I said, for relegation when for, on that season. And, and Jerry, um, on, the, on the basis of watching me train in, that, in those probably couple of weeks, put me straight into the first team so I mm. uh, it was it was a bit of a shock because I just thought I was going to go there as a you know like number two Tim Carter who was the goalie who was another young goalie he's probably about a year older than me but he played the season before for Rovers so he had a, a whole sort of season of experience and I just presumed that he would be the, the first choice but I, I managed to to get into the first team and I played six games and Probably the first three or four went really well, um, personally and for the team. And then um, I, I made a couple of mistakes. I remember making a mistake and dropping across in a very, very wet day uh, at home to Wigan and we lost 3-2. And then Jerry um, dropped me for six games, um, which was a bit of a shock <laughs> um, because yeah. the money wasn't, wasn't brilliant anyway and you're paying rent and everything and I was kind of starting to rely on on uh, a little bit of appearance money and when you know that stopped and it was it was it, things were tight you know mm. we were we were going around tesco's with our calculator you know <laughs> buying bean feasts for the you know 80p for meals and things like this because it just didn't have enough to go around after rent um you know we we're still living in a big city so rents were quite high mm. so you know things things were really tight there and um you know we uh we do, we just kept our heads down. I I obviously kept my head down and worked hard whilst I was there, you know, because you get an opportunity like that. I, you know, I definitely wasn't gonna, you know, if it didn't work out, I wasn't gonna say, well, it, it didn't work out because I didn't try hard enough. That was definitely not going to be the reason. So um, I just kept working at it, and and after another six games, um, he brought me back into the team, and then and then we sort of stayed. I stayed in the team then, and the team. We struggled probably for the first two thirds of the season, but the end of that season we really hit some form, and we had we had twelve clean sheets in thirteen games. Um, the last thirteen games of the season, we ended up finishing about eighth, I think, in the end. So we, we put a real run together at the end, and um, you know that was good. The, the, the following season, we sort of kept that form going, and we you know we we ended up losing in the playoff final to for promotion. So. Um, just with a good, you know, a good bunch of lads from here, there, and everywhere thrown together, um, with good team spirit and prepared to run through brick walls for each other. That's 
kind of the mentality we had and and we sort of overachieved on a very small budget really and so after bristol rovers you how did the transfer to crystal palace come about then um it was really strange i mean there were things you know this 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 is the naivety of of the lad coming from cornwall <laughs> you know i i didn't have an agent Ooh. Um, so there was well, that's because you're only a goalkeeper. You weren't a striker, were you? <laughs> well, exactly. Was, and, and times were different, but um, you know, there were there were sort of stories in 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 the um, in the newspapers. I think the Sun had a back page headline of um, Kenny's pair of Bristol's. It was it was the headline, which is oh, a, a typical Sun headline, yeah. and it was about Gary Penrice and myself being going to Liverpool. Oh right. Um, which, you know, you can imagine the, the, you know, you go into training. I, I wasn't even aware that it was there, but, um, you know, a few of the lads had seen it and were going, you know, what's all this, you know, you go, and I was going, I haven't got a clue what you're on about. I really didn't have a clue. Um, so I think at that time I was just starting to interest, um, teams in, in, you know, in the top division. And, uh, after a while then, you know, Jerry came straight out in the, in the local press, and and then it got into obviously into the national press saying, right, I'm, he's not going unless I get a million quid, hmm. um, which is you know, which is which is clever from his point of view. He's hmm. basically saying, yeah, we we like this young lad, but he's not going to go cheap. Um, and and during my time at Rovers, I probably signed another two or three contracts, which sort of improved my wage slightly and gave me longer, uh, you know, a longer. Uh, a longer term on my contract so they were sort of securing me uh to the club so if if they did sell then uh, then obviously they'd get all the money from that so um then eventually it came right at the back end of 89 i think um we'd start the season really well we were top of the league and um and palace came in and i, I remember them jerry coming to say to me um Right, you know, we've accepted an, an offer from Crystal Palace. You know, get your agent to do this. And I went, well, I haven't got one. <laughs> so he was like, oh my god. And, and I ended up speaking to Jeff Twentyman, who was one of the senior pros at the club, and um, he put, basically got me in touch with the PFA. And, and the PFA, um, Brendan Batson did my deal for me through through the PFA. So. Um, <laughs> right. And so, and you were the first million pound goalkeeper, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and that was. Was that, that any pressure that, on you or not? I, I said not, and and people say you must be mad. How is it not? Because you know all I can ever do, and this is as much pressure as I put on myself, was all I can do is go out and try my best every every game. Yeah, and you know sometimes it's good enough. There's going to be games when I you know, make a mistake and you lose. That happens, you know. But it's it's how you sort of deal with that, really. So. I, all I said was when I was asked that question by the media was it's not my valuation. I don't think any football is worth a million pounds. Um, it's a valuation that has come, you know, has, has been made by, uh, Bristol Palace and Bristol Rovers. Mm. You know, that's, I sort of put it all, all the pressure really onto the manager, I guess, by saying, you know, it's not, it, it, it's, it's obviously not my, my thing. And, and, you know, it was, You've then got a new set of supporters, and, and you know it is it is it is a bit scary, a bit daunting because you're going to London. All right, you know, Amanda and myself had 
you know, we'd go out in the county, uh, you know, occasionally on day trips and things like that, but we hadn't gone too far, and <laughs> Bristol was a massive step for us. Um, but then suddenly you, you sort of um, move into Crystal Palace, which is obviously South London, and it was near Croydon, really. So, it, you know, that was... It was, it was just really, really busy, so um just had to get used to it, and it, it took a little bit of time to settle in, but, you know, basically my my job's still the same. I've got to stop the ball crossing the line at the end of the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's, what, that's kind of what I did. I didn't worry too much about it. I just went to work every day to train and, and do the best I could. Well, um, you, you obviously did all right because um, I think it was whilst you were at Palace you got your first England cap, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so you know, I, you know, if, I guess if you're young and, and English and playing in the top league, then you know you've got to be in the running to be in the squad. I mean, obviously back in those days there were more English goalkeepers in in the well first division as mm. it was then than than are in the Premier League now, but. Um, you know, just if you were performing, then you sort of jumped up the queue a little bit. And it was just after the World Cup in 1990. So it was Graham Taylor's, I think it was his first one. Um, he, he called me up. So Peter Shilton kind of, he just retired, but he was, he still came along. So, so he was there and, um, it was Chris, Chris Woods and David Singham. Chris Woods was like the number one, Dave Seaman was the number two, and then I got called up as like as the young goalie as the number three. Right. Um, and you know this this is like the surreal thing. So my first squad, um, I turn up at the Burnham Beaches Hotel, which is somewhere near Slough, which is where England sort of had their get-togethers, and you just you know you get sent through a, you know a nice letter, and it just tells you where you need to be on. On, on the Sunday evening, you know, so you play your, your your game for your club on the Saturday, and then the Sunday evening at about seven o'clock, you've got to report to the, this hotel, um, which I did, and I went to reception and said my name, and they went, oh, okay, yeah, you're in room, I don't know, twenty three, but the other the other players already got the key, so you know, <laughs> go down. So you, I wandered down knocked on the door and Gary Lineker opens the door no and that's you know this is literally well I, I, you know, I played it uh, I moved to Palace in 89 November 89 and this this I, I'm guessing is somewhere around September 1990 and probably in 1987 in you know the season of 86-87 you know I'd I've been watching Gary Lineker. I've been watching him play for England. It was just completely surreal. And you know, the first thing he says to me is, um, uh, "I'll have a milk and two sugars in the tea." And, and you know, the first thing I do is go straight to the weather kettle and all that isn't to put the kettle on to do it. That's how it was. I mean, he just laughed and said, no, "I'm only joking." But um, you know, he was a very senior. You know, he's he's he did, he's done the World Cup in '86. He's done the World Cup in '19. Been our star player in both. Mm. So there is the finished article if there ever is one. Um, and he he was my roommate for the first England squad, and that was, I think that was the manager doing that just to say, you know, here you go. Look, I'm going to put you in a room with, and just to see how you handle that sort of situation. But um, you know, it was. It was pretty surreal, I'll be honest. Yeah, I bet. So, 
Crystal Palace, you, you I, I guess one of the other highlights would have been the, the FA Cup final you played in, although yeah. you lost. I'm sorry to, sorry to say, but... Yeah. Uh, that was really that was really bizarre because I remember because it just all happened so everything just fell into place um, on that cup run and then obviously the great game against Liverpool the four three game at Liverpool the semi final um, and and this is this is the season uh, it might even be the same season that Liverpool had beaten Crystal Palace nine nil which luckily I wasn't holding mm-hmm. um, which probably got me my move actually. Um, so, you know, you're going into a semi-final against Liverpool and, you know, the, the previous result it was a 9-0 to them. So you're not fancied heavily. And then to to win that game, it was just amazing. And we got to a cup final. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, wow, this is how it's going to be. You know, we're going to be in around cup finals and, and you know, going to Wembley and all this. And, you know, I, I think that, that thought sort of, Poisoned the whole thing for me because I never got back there for another uh, <laughs> FA Cup final again. But um, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was it was a great day. Um, the whole occasion of the build up to that cup final, and again, you know, we were the same as as any other kids at home. You know, we'd watch the build up to match the uh, to the to the cup final on a Saturday. Would be, you know, watching everything. It's a knockout on the telly. You know, the with the two teams and. Then you'd go over a park and have a kick around, and then you'd watch the cup final, and then you'd go over the park and have a kick mm-hmm. around. That's, that's you know, it, it's the same as any other probably um, Cornish people yeah. watching the, the cup final, and suddenly to be there and part of it was was great. And I remember, if if I look back on it now, I just if I have any wish, I just wish that the day had finished that day, whether you know whether mm-hmm. it was penalties and whether whatever the result would have been. It felt better than coming back a few days later for you know the cup final. Yeah, it was a big day, but it just didn't. Everything was flat, really. You know, either team played very well, um, and you know they have a, a left fullback that hits a screamer into the top corner. He probably scored four goals in his career, and that's one of them. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was disappointing to lose it, but um, you know that team was was definitely on the up at that point. Um, Palace because we we hadn't done well in the league but we got to the cup final the following season um, you know we finished third in the in the old first division so you know that that team was certainly going forward mm. so from Crystal Palace to Leeds uh, a, another record fee two point two five million this time um, and so things were still going well for you yeah I mean. At Palace, we had um, so, like I said, we, we finished third the following season, and then, and then it was the slow sort of. It's the bigger clubs again coming to pick everybody off. So Ian Wright gets sold, and Jeff Thomas gets sold, and Mike Wright gets sold, and suddenly you know you lose your firepower, and then the team starts to struggle, and you got relegated, and then um, promoted the next season as champions, and then got relegated again the season after so it was a bit of a an up down sort of thing with with Palace at the end um and then we we again tried to get back up and lost in the final of the playoffs at Wembley against Leicester um when Steve Claridge in the probably the 
125th minute of the game, so it got to hmm. time as well, managed to volley one in the top corner, and we um, we lost that game. And I remember thinking to myself, that's that's probably my best chance of playing in the Premier League again, gone. All right. And it was really bizarre because I was I was 29, turning 30 that summer, so it, you know it was a bit of a an over over probably exaggeration, but that's that's how I felt at the time. Um, but during the summer, um, it was Everton who came in for me first, and then Leeds matched the bid, and we, you know, we went to speak to both clubs, and you know, Leeds just it just seemed the right fit, really. So um, we we moved to Leeds, and you know, I had had a good time, you know, uh, at this you know reasonably successful time with, with a good team. Yeah, and you were obviously uh, well a very popular guy because. Um, I saw somewhere that uh, you were selected in the, the greatest Leeds United team. Um, you were the only one from the sort of modern era. That all, all the rest, you know, were either in the Don Revy sort of period or, and the likes of John Charles. So you obviously made your, you know, a, a big impact at the club. Yeah, I, I just think you can't pull the wool over supporters' eyes. You know, that's the thing. They know, you know, people know football. And you know you you get you can get certain players that just occasionally show flashes of brilliance, and then they just don't perhaps put enough in sometimes, and and it, you know supporters get onto that pretty quickly, and you get that sort of edginess with them. But I think I think what they felt with me was I was always trying my best for them. You know, if we're losing, I'm the one who's sprinting, getting the ball, and you know running to so so like. None of the outfielders, you know, if, you, if you're into the last five minutes and the ball gets whacked, you know, long and it's gone for a throw in, it's me, I'll sprint and get it and throw it for them <laughs> to try and, you know, help as much as you can to try and get the result. And I think if people see how much you're, you want to win for their team, they'll, they'll take you to their heart. Obviously, you know, you still have to play pretty well for them to do that. But, you know, that was, that was a nice thing to be sort of voted into that team and because you know, there's some real obviously Leeds legends in there mm. but, um, but it was nice to be alongside and, and I mean we had a, a we had a very we had a lovely night actually where they they sort of did the announcement of the team and John Charles was still alive and there and you know it was, it was great to be part of that um, you know with those great players as well and I would imagine that whilst you're at Leeds there was a big expectations of of or you know the need for success because obviously Leeds were at that time used to winning things weren't they you know before you got yeah. this sort of thing so yeah they 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 were I mean during the late sixties and and probably early and mid seventies you know they were in a European Cup final they were winning leagues and um, uh, cups FA cups and things like that and then it was pretty dull through the eighties and then you get the the championship win in 91, 92. Um, but since then, you know, there'd been nothing. And this, you know, I, it, me, it was 96 when I moved there. And um, they got to a League Cup final the season before, but the team really wasn't anywhere near pushing for stuff. So, um, you know, I, when, when I moved, I moved, Lee Bowyer moved at the same time. Um, and... Lee Sharp and Ian Rush. So the four of us moved to Leeds that summer 
and obviously Lee Sharp and Ian Rush got all the headlines mm-hmm. and, and me and Lee Bowie are sort of coming under the radar a little bit but we were probably the two that had the most success and were there for the longest period of time so it's, it's quite nice when you can just stay under the radar a little bit um, but you know you are expected to, to do well but the thing the thing with, with Leeds was we probably got to about as good as we could get but there were always teams after the menu who obviously had more money and could attract the top players so we were we were best of the rest probably for sort of two or three seasons you know qualified for Europe sort of every year and pushed them but right when we were on the edge of making that breakthrough was was really when we um <laughs> as players we we found out at the same time as everyone else that the, the finances weren't being uh, everything was was gambled upon um mm. qualification i think for the champions league which we we um we only qualified for uefa cup i think so um once once that had happened it, the wheels quickly fell off and players were sold left right and center and the club just went downhill very quickly yeah turbulent times almost wasn't it so so you finished your your professional or your footballing career at Everton. Um, how, how how was the time at Everton? I I, I loved it because my my last season at Leeds. Um, so I played two thousand and one through two thousand and two season. Played every game. Didn't miss a training session. No injuries. Straight into the World Cup. Um, did um, Japan and Korea. Uh, came home from that and had, I'd say, about 10 or 11 days off before I had to report for pre-season training again for the next season, which which physically and mentally isn't long enough. <laughs> and I went in to train. Um, well, I was told to report, so I went in to train. And um, it was when Terry Venables had become the manager, but he wasn't at the club at the time. Mm. So he was the manager, but he wasn't there. So Eddie Gray was running things. So um, Eddie sort of welcomed me back. I, you know, unlucky on the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. Um, just to let you know, we're going on a pre-season tour to, for, to China, Thailand and Australia. And, that, you know, I'd just come back from there and I was like, I don't want to go there no more than flying. <laughs> you know, I really just do not want to. So I said, look, Ed, you know, I, I haven't had long off. Can I just stay here and train? Yeah. Um, let me see, you know, spend a bit more time with my family because, you know, they haven't seen me for 30 weeks and I've been back 10 days and now I'm going again. So he said, well, the new manager wants you to go. So I went, well, I don't want to go. So, um, it was the following day at training. Um, I was, I was in the middle of a training session. I, I remember it because I was absolutely lagged in mud and, um, Eddie came running over and said, um, the gaffer's going to ring you in five minutes in his office, so can you get yourself in? So I just ran into the offices, sort of stripped off my outer wear down to, like, shorts and a T-shirt, which was relatively clean underneath, um, and just waited, and his secretary was there, and she said that he'll ring him, uh, you know, in there in two minutes. So I, so I went into his office, and nobody had seen him at the club, so he said, uh, eventually the phone rang, Nigel, it's Terry, what's this? You don't want to go on the trip. And I just said, look, I've had 10, 11 days off. It's, it's not long enough. I, I, I'm not ready to go back over there again and be away for another sort of two and a half, three weeks when, um, you know, I've just, I've just done that. You know, the kids are actually just used to seeing me again. And I'm, 
I'm getting off again really for a, a, and it was just a tour for it was financial it mm. wasn't anything about preparing for the season you know if, if you're really being perfectly honest it was nothing to do with that so he said so he basically said to me um, well if you don't come on the trip and you'll never play for the team again. And and I, I remember saying to him, well, actually, and Gaffer, how I feel right now, I don't care. <laughs> and I remember saying that. <laughs> and, and literally put the phone down. And um, oh. as I went out, I said to his secretary, I said, where is he anyway? He's been appointed manager for like nearly a week and he's still not here. Yeah. And she went, oh, he's just away filming, wish you were here. Oh, no. <laughs> so, the, you know, he was sort of questioning my... Um, <laughs> Commitment, yeah. commitment to to the team, and, and you know, he all right. He probably had a contract that he had to fulfil, but um, you know, it was it was it was a strange one. And so they went on that tour. I trained with the kids um, in Leeds, and then he came back, and he just sort of didn't speak to me. And I carried on training with the kids, and then the it was the day before the season. I think it was like, like the Friday morning. He just came over to me and went, "Oh, you're going to be on the bench tomorrow," and just sort of wandered off. And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> um, and so I spent that whole season on the bench um, under him. And the team had gone from you know UEFA Cup qualification and, and really pushing to you know a team that ended up staying up by the skin of its teeth on the last day of the season. So um, you know, and, and not to be able to be to do anything about that was really frustrating so Peter Reid had taken over at this point and then was the manager for the start of the next season and he said look everyone's got a clean slate. it's between you and Paul Robinson um, whoever does best in pre-season starts so I said that's fine you know I, as long as I know where I am uh, I'm, I'm happy with that so we played I think we played two and a half games each and I let in two goals in those two and a half both of which are penalties, and Robbo let in seven. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, well, I'm starting here. And then he uh, just comes up to me and went, uh, I'm going to give Paul the number one jersey, and you've got 13, so I went, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, you said to me, whoever's done best, and, you know, I think that I have. And he said, I'll be honest with you, we've got to play Paul because he's worth more money, and at the moment the club want to sell him. Um, and, you know, you're... 37 and not worth very much and he's 22 and, and you know real potential and we can get two or three million for him then we're, I'm going to have to play him so I was like you know it was more about politics mm. and perhaps what was best for the team so that was pretty gutting so then um, Chelsea then came in for me and um, we I was going to go there and then Everton came in and the, the better thing from the Everton point of view was I could commute so it was a case of, you know, late on in my career, I didn't have to up roots again. Um, you know, kids are all in, you know, in schools and getting to the age, you know, where they're, you know, looking to leave school. My, my son certainly was. So, um, you know, I just thought, right, I'm, you know, I'd rather stay up here now because we're sort of settled. And um, David Morris was happy with me commuting. So um, I, I did that. And to be honest, David Moyes, I, I I feel like he gave me my football sort of credibility back, mm-hmm. which had, um, it felt like it had been taken away at Leeds um, at the back end, I, and there's no way I wanted to finish my career like that. So um, I can remember going over there. Chris Woods was actually the goalie coach at Everton at the time, 
I remember him saying to me, look, you know, you're, you're 36, 37, you don't need to be doing as much as the other goalies. And I just said, look, the minute I can't do what they can do is the minute I, need, I, I may as well hang my boots up. So, um, you know, I had two and a bit seasons over there before I, I eventually got an injury, which, you know, we we stayed up that season and Leeds got relegated and I got player of the year. So it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like you're sticking two fingers up to Leeds because <laughs> the supporters I really like. The club were horrible to me at the end, but the, the, the supporters were great. So I didn't want to see them get relegated for the supporters, but you do get a personal satisfaction of, well, maybe I could have done something rather than having a very good, but very inexperienced goalie there that they had. Um, you know, perhaps if they'd had a, a more sort of senior goalie, so, you know, that it could have been the other way around, but, mm. um, you know, I was happy to contribute, you know, to Everton staying up. And then, you know, the next season we, we finished fourth and qualified for the Champions League. And, you know, David Moyes was, you know, he's, he was over the moon with me, you know, with my attitude and how hard I trained and how hard I worked. So, um, which is all I've ever done is, <laughs> is the honest truth. Um, but then, you know, unfortunately, I get a stress fracture in my ankle, which we didn't know was a stress fracture. So I played probably three months with it, um, which meant that playing that long, and it was my right foot as well, so it was all the kicking and everything, which was obviously painful. But um, scans didn't pick anything up. I even had a little operation to clear the ankle out. They went, there's a bit of air and tear, but didn't see anything. Hmm. And it was um, then. It was um, later on. There was some, they did a CT scan, and it, it showed a crack in my talus, sort of from top to bottom, right the way through the talus. So um, after after a period of time, uh, they said that that's never going to heal. So you know, for your long, you know, your the rest of your life, if you want to be able to walk, basically, um, well, you know, you need to stop. So. Um, Moisey had actually he'd offered me another another year's contract as well, so you know, there was the uh, the opportunity to be playing into my forties and things, which I you know I wanted to do, but I you know, wasn't able to because of uh, of my ankle. So you know it, it, it was a great club to be at. Um, I won over a new set of supporters, um, and you know I, I, it was a it was a good way to finish in the end. You know I'd, I'd have liked to have been able to, to have finished as a player um, rather than walking around the pitch knowing that my career was over you know I we did the, the like the lap of honour at the end of the game yeah. and Duncan Ferguson was retiring uh, <laughs> at the same time and he you know he could he played the game and he you know he, everyone knew he was leaving and he could do his lap of honour and everything and uh, I couldn't do that because they were still deciding whether my career was over or not oh right so it kind of felt like it was, to be honest. But um, it was probably about two weeks after that game that um, you know I got the news. So um, you know that was a bit disappointing. But hmm. you know that's life. It's better to get it at thirty-nine, nearly forty than at nineteen. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, you had a long time in the game, didn't you? And of course, yeah. you also had the two World Cups that you went to, the finals that you went to. What yeah. was that like being away for such a long time, you know, with the same squad? You know, how, how was that? Um, I, I, I mean, it, it, you, the job's still the same, and it's it's all about hotels, coaches, football grounds, and that's that's Do it. You get fed up and, with that. Um, 
well, I coming back after the 2002 World Cup and and the, the distance that we travelled. So, so after the end of our long hard season, we went to which which sounds lovely, we went to Dubai. But we, you know, as players, we had a, a, another pre-season. So literally, we've come off a season, had a day off, and then flown out to Dubai the following day. So like the Monday after the season finishes on the Saturday. Um, straight in and then you're working really really hard again so you're upping your levels again even though you've just done a a, a long season to you know to be at peak condition for a world cup um and then the time that you're obviously away from your family and it is hotel rooms then you're into a coach then you're at the ground then you're training blah blah, blah. then you're back on the coach and you're back to your hotel and there's no Downtime as such, there's nowhere to go because you, you know you're. It's a World Cup. The minute you go outside the door, there's 500 news cameras ready. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you you know you you're stuck. Um, so then to do that and then come back and and only get sort of nine or ten or ten or eleven days as it was that um, was wasn't enough. So I I I was fed up with it by then um, certainly because you you know you are away a lot you. Your overnight stays for you know home games as well as away games latterly as well. So even though you're maybe living ten miles from the ground, you know you go to training Friday morning and you get to come home Saturday night after the game. You know that. So there's a lot of staying away and a lot of missing stuff. You know, you, you, it, it's kind of like you know other jobs in, in, in that respect. You know, it's like being in the army, I guess. You mm. know. It's, you're told where to be at, at any given time and you have to be there. So, um, yeah, I think the, the frustrating time of it is you know that you've got to do it for, for games and, and competitions, but then when they sort of pick things that are just um, just about um, finance for them rather than what's best for the players leading into a season, that's when I, I disagreed with it mm. a little bit. But, and... Uh, if you looking back, which was the sort of best time for you? Do you think? Um, I think probably the, you know, it, 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 I think the most successful time or the best team I played in would have been that Leeds team that got to the semi-finals of the Champions League and semi-finals of the UEFA Cup the year before and finished third in the league and and was pushing for Europe for probably four or five years every single year. That was probably the sort of peak of my career. I love my little spell at Everton at the end, um, you know, to help a team that was really struggling to then, you know, get a chance to go into the Champions League as well. Um, it was a great way to finish my career. And Crystal Palace was the club I was at the, mo- at the longest. Mm. So, you know, a lot of, you know, when I say that to people, most people go, really? Is it, was it not Leeds? You know, <laughs> and I go, no, I was like, I think it was seven and a bit seasons at Palace and, and six at, at Leeds and, and sort of three at Everton and two and a half or whatever it was at, at, um, at, at Bristol Rovers. And, and I enjoyed my time at all of them and got on with the supporters of all of them. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I can go to back to any of those clubs, you know, and sort of be held in high regard with the, with the supporters is always nice. You know, it was never... It's never been a thing of me to criticise the team that you're playing for or to, you know, move to another club and then have a bit of a 
a go at the team you played for. You know, I still look out for the results for for all the teams that mm. you know I played for, and that's you know that's kind of how I am. You know, I want I always want those teams to do well, um, and and I think on the flip side, I you know I get invites to go over to Everton to games, to go to Leeds to games. I've been back to games at Palace, and I've been back and and um, seen games at Rovers as well. So. You know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm quite lucky in that respect because not all players have that with all the, the teams they were at. You know, if, they, if things don't go well for you at a club, then you tend not to be liked too much by the supporters. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it was it was quite good to, so, to do that. But so, sorry, go on. so what are you up to now then? Uh, now I'm retired um, and uh, enjoying my time. So. I can go, I mean, the kids now are, you know, I was able to see, my son went to the Guildhall in London and did an opera course, so I was able to see him do his performances and things like that. My daughter was sport mad, so I've seen her play netball um, all around Yorkshire and stuff. Um, And so Thomas has now moved back up here. He's living in Nairsborough, which is sort of five miles away from where we are. Um, My daughter's in her last year of her, uh, physiotherapy uh, masters, so you know she she'll be moving on. So we're just we're just sort of um, part of you know a, a, a split up family at the moment, hmm. um, yeah. and and sort of loving life up here. Obviously, this last year has been been terrible. We were down we were down in Cornwall actually. We were home um, last March when it all happened, and our, our son is on the vulnerable list, so we actually drove the next day um, up to London to get him to get him out of London right. get him back up to Yorkshire with us so we've not been home you know we normally come home to Cornwall three or four times a year um, and we've not been we've been home once since uh, last March and that was for uh, my wife's grandma's funeral right. so you know we we have made the choice not to come home because we didn't we just felt it's not right um and i know probably millions of others did and came at stupid times and it, it's it's as annoying for me as a you know a cornishman who can't get home to see <laughs> my mum and dad and amanda's mum and dad and and things like that who you know my mum and dad my dad's in his 90s now and mum's in her mid late 80s and and you want to be seeing them at this <laughs> point but it, it would be irresponsible of me to to drive from Yorkshire down, so I'm not. You know, we we've made that decision that we're not going to be. Perhaps we, you know, we have more perhaps more right than a lot of people who who did make that journey, but we wanted to do the right thing. But you know, we're we're looking forward to hopefully touching wood um, coming home this this summer and um, you know spending two or three weeks at home like like we always do, you know, with the family, and that's. You know that's what we 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 love to do. Normally it's it's February and October, and you know two weeks in February, two weeks in October, three weeks in August, and then usually once or twice other times during the year we'll pop down as well for a week or so. So we do sort of try and split our time down there as much as we can because all our family are there. Mm. You know my brother's there with his family, Amanda's brother and sisters and all their family are, are still at home and mums and dads are still down there so we're, we're the outcrop if you like um, <laughs> but you know it, it, 
we do live in a lovely area. It's, you know, we just, uh, we, we, we're a bit sort of landlocked really. We're too, we're too far away from the sea. That's, that's what we miss the most is, is getting to the, getting to the beach or getting to, you know, somewhere nice and getting a, a lung full of sea air. Yeah. You, you don't get that enough. We are in lovely countryside and stuff up here. So it is, it is beautiful up here, but it's, it's not home. <laughs> okay. Well, before I ask you, the, the last thing is perhaps, you know, we mentioned about there's not enough players that come out of the county. And so just ask you for a, what you would advise or, or, you know, a word of advice from you on that front. I've got a letter in front of me that Rapper actually gave me. And it's uh, from the Cornwall County Football Association. Um, the date isn't quite legible, but it's the uh, 4th of September in the, in the 80s when you were selected for the uh, Cornwall Under-18s to play the East Cornwall Premier League. And um, But I don't think you were first choice at that stage. Morris Truscott, the manager, chose uh, Trevor Prophet in place, uh, in, in, ahead of you. So... Uh, so yeah, I I I managed I managed through school to play for Cornwall Rugby and Cornwall Cornwall Schools Rugby Cornwall Schools Cricket, but I wasn't picked for football. <laughs> 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 uh, um, and then and then the under 18s yeah, I, I can remember that. And then the thing was that you know at that point I'd probably only been playing a couple of seasons. As as a goalkeeper, do you know what I mean? So mm. the the other guys probably had more experience, and and you know I was probably still playing Dutchy League football then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you know it was it, it, it was very much. I mean, I had two seasons at at, at um, heavy transport, and then one at Bugle, and one at St Blasey, and then boom, you're gone. Yeah. So it, you know it, it it happened very quickly. So it wasn't. You know, it wasn't something that, you know, you were there. It, you know, it was always like the pathway. It's just something that just suddenly happened. And look, I got a huge slice of luck. Let's, let's not, you know, beat around the bush for a guy to own a carpet shop to know the tea lady at Bristol. <laughs> you know, it is, it is bizarre. It's an odd way of going. You know, it's almost impossible for something like that to happen, Mark. Um, but that's how I know more players from Cornwall could have done that. Mm. Because 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 I've done it, I know more could have done it. Um, you just don't know what your potential could be given the opportunity to to go there and and have the the opportunity of doing it. So so what um, what bit of advice would you give to any youngster who's coming up through, and especially a goalkeeper, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it it, it for me it was about working hard. Um, I I enjoyed training. Um, and I worked hard at it. Um, you know, I was, I was not nowhere near a finished article when I went to Bristol Rovers and, and after the training session, the physiotherapist, Roy Dolling, he was called, would take me out for about 45, 50 minutes after training and absolutely beast me <laughs> with diving and, and getting up and, you know, just absolutely. So I was out on my feet. Um, yeah, and this is after a session where you're pretty much there anyway. Yeah. Uh, and he used to absolutely, but like he just sort of said, look, this is the ground and this is what you need to do. This, you know, you get the strength and you get your spring and you get everything. And then it's just having that, um, 
your ear open to listen to the bits of advice that you need to pick up along the way, which all adds to your experience and your all-round playing. So as a goalkeeper, there was loads of things I was learning when I was at Rovers. Um, because, you know, for me, it was just about diving and saving the ball. Um, you know, there was you know, the, the talking aspect, the distribution aspect, you know, all things that are really, really vital and, and vitally important. You know, I was, wasn't great at, let's be honest, when I first started. And, you know, I was able and given time to do that um, and develop that. Um, so I think if, you, if you're young and you've got the ability now is to, is to keep working at it um, and then playing, you know, the, the games, there, there is an element of luck. I'm, I'm guessing in Cornwall now for somebody to get spotted um you know, and it's just about playing for your, you know, you, as you're getting older, your local side, or, you know, you might, you might suddenly find yourself, um, living in Saltash, but, uh, Falmouth want you to play for them because it's a bigger, or oh, that, that'll cause a bit of rupture, that's probably not a good, uh, that's probably not a good way of putting it, but, but say somebody, you know, a bigger team away from the town you might perhaps live in come, come, want you to play, you know, that's a step up. Yeah. But it's it's really difficult when you're young if if the scouting networks aren't down there. Um, so you know, writing to clubs um, and trying to get people to come and watch you, and you know, but then just I mean, my advice was just always try your best. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I ever did, and and no one can ask anything else of you if you if you come off the pitch every time saying well. Yeah, I gave my best, and sometimes it's good enough, and sometimes it wasn't. But there was nothing you could do about it. Then there's, there's nothing for you to worry about. But if, if you can, if you if you have to look in that mirror sometimes and say, and say to yourself, I wasn't really at it, or I didn't really do enough, or I didn't, you know, you start questioning yourself too much. Then that's when you're not, you know, doing your full potential. So you know, it's, it is keep working at it. Keep working at it is, is definitely the thing. But it's hard. It's harder. It's hard um, geographically where we are, and not having, you know, okay, Plymouth's forty miles up the road, or it was from where I lived, uh, and perhaps you know there needs to be more um, feelers sent down from from sort of southwestern clubs. I mean, um, Plymouth, Exeter. Um, the two Bristol teams, Southampton, I think, have got feelers down mm. this way, but I don't think it's it's potentially enough. You know, they they kind of they seem they seem to want. Um, I mean, Premier League teams now can pick youngsters from almost anywhere in the world. Yeah. So you know, it's probably even harder to get Premier League. But you know, getting a league uh, team to to get. You know, get interest in you is, is what you have to try and do now, whether you write to them or get somebody to write to them on your behalf and, and recommend and, and hopefully it gets followed up. Um, it is difficult, but I, I would definitely say if you get your opportunity, you just take it and go for it. Um, because, you know, there was, for me, I, I didn't feel that there was anything to lose. Um, I would have lost, I probably would have lost my job if I, you know, if after three or four months it didn't work out and I'd come back, somebody else would have had that job and I'd have had to start it again. But, 
um, I wouldn't. At least I, I had a go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think if you do get that opportunity, you must you must have a go at doing it. And when you if you do get it, is just give it your best shot. You know, don't don't leave anything out. You know, don't don't be worrying about other people saying how you're. Oh God, he's trying hard, isn't he? You know, you, yeah. Be the person who's trying hard. Don't be the person who, who you know who's talking about how hard somebody's trying. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I think sometimes we worry too much what other other people are saying about us rather than you know just getting on and doing it well you certainly didn't hang around yourself anyway Nigel and um, you know it's been great talking to you and hearing what the well the number of years that you were involved in professional football and well we thank that tea lady I think yeah absolutely and the, and the guy that owned the carpet shop yes. <laughs> right thanks and also a, a quick word for obviously the the cricket company Sean Hooper who I got in touch with to get in touch with you um, a little plug there for Sean and his and his uh, cricket company and because uh, you, you're a keen cricketer yourself aren't you I believe I am I, I, I st- I'm still playing into my mid 50s um, competitive cricket in Yorkshire so it's it's a decent standard I play for Nairsborough um, so you know we're looking for promotion this year and I want to uh, I've spoken to Sean about you know maybe playing some over 50s for Cornwall so Ooh, right. You know, we we spoke about this before COVID, so it was always such a you know great idea. But you know, actually coming home and playing games for for the over fifties would be um, would be great to do. We'll, we'll we'll see how that that pans out. You know, we're we're hopeful of that. Um, with the the latest government guidelines we've had, I think mean pretty much we should be okay to get a cricket season in. So. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful of that, but I still enjoy my cricket. I just there's a little bit less running around to do than football, so my ankle sort of just about stands up to it. <laughs> right. Well, let's hope you do get in a, a full cricket season. And thanks very much. No worries, Dave. Good to speak to you. You're listening to the Cornish Soccer Rappo and Deeks Friday Fix. Thanks to Nigel there for um, well a lengthy interview, you could say, Rappo. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's only like Nigel's enjoying it, mate. Get chatting to you, mate. Yeah, going over his career and that, mate. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Really, really enjoyed it, mate. I, I mean, Nigel, he's a perfect character, and he mate for a keeper. He's like really laid back, and he takes and you know, you've never heard anyone say a bad word about Nigel in his whole career, mate. Have you? Any clubs he's been to? You've never, you know. And what a take, mate, for Nigel being the first, you know, million pound goalkeeper, mate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's something that's going to stay with you forever, isn't it? You know, you're never going to lose that tag, are you? And, well, he and actually like, set the record twice because he had it when the, the first yeah. million pound goalie, and then and then when he went to Leeds for the two point two five, it was another record fee. So, so sure, yeah. it's amazing. I wonder yeah. what you know. It makes you think what people would have paid for him these days, wouldn't it? Oh, well, crikey, yeah. What would he be worth today, mate? Yeah, look at that. That's I know. That's right. And Nigel's first England roommate, like Gary Lineker. Yeah. That was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay. So I remember, mate, I remember, Dick, I went to the, you know, United Palace, you know, 90 final, mate, at Wembley, and, you know, it's a fantastic game, mate, that trio it was, mate. You know, obviously, wanted United to win, like, being a, a fan, like, but, but I wanted Nigel to play well as well, mm. Dick, you know, it's one of them days, you know, obviously being a proud Cornishman, like well, like we all are, mate. You know, like good to hear Nigel still is, mate. And 
But um, yeah, I mean, you know, you wanted. I thought I'll settle for United sort of winning one 0 if you know what I mean, mate. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but it did in the replay. But but really interesting, mate. Wanted to hear Nigel's World Cup stories and you know being away from his family and you know such great rewards playing at that very top level, Dixon. But there's some big sacrifices to be made as well, isn't there, mate? And yeah, and, and and like the one where he came back from the England World Cup finals in South Korea and and Japan and. Obviously, yeah. then soon had the well, the club leads were off out to the China and wherever, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. he uh, decided that he wasn't going to go. Obviously, that was coming well towards the sort of the latter part yeah. of his career. I wonder if he would have said the same if it had been ten years earlier. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. but brave man, wasn't it? Really to yeah. say no. That's right, mate. I think Nigel probably earned that right by the, t- you know, where the, you know, stage he was at in his career at that time, mate. Probably didn't he? And mm. probably earned. But like ten days, like this, it's, it's not enough, mate, is it, to recharge your batteries for? No. You know, just been away. You know, the build up to the World Cup and then the the, the World Cup. I mean, it's like six weeks, mate, isn't it? Yeah. And then you come back for ten days to to go out there again. I don't I don't blame Nigel really, mate, but. He's still as modest as ever, Diggs, and he's, you know, stating his slice a lot, you know, a carpet shop owner knowing a tea lady. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, right. a, it's a story. I'm waiting for Nigel's book, actually, like, Diggs, you know, it'd be a good story, mate, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. but he's so popular at every club he's ever been at, so, you know, I think it's, you know, sell a few books off the shelf, and he didn't have to make the most of that opportunity, mate, didn't he, with hard work and, mm. and talent, mate, and deserved everything he got in his Remarkable career, mate. Didn't he? Well done, Nigel, mate. Yeah, but like you said earlier, though, it's it's interesting, isn't it? When you get to talk to these uh, players, how up and down the game, you know, it, it you know it swings on different managers and all sorts, doesn't it? Really, not just yeah. uh, and clubs like Crystal Palace going bust and or you know get running out of money and all that sort of thing. You know, it's amazing, yeah. and the, the little bits like we heard from from Kevin Miller about. You know, um, r- remarking that he had a slight knee injury, so the transfer fee could be reduced slightly, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. what goes on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a few. Uh, yeah, it does go on, doesn't it? Dude? It does go on, mate. Yeah. yeah, like you say, little. But yeah, cutthroat business, really. Football, digs, isn't it? I mean, you know, it makes you realise how well those three lads are, are done, mate, and it to have the careers that they had. Yeah. You know, over such a long time you know time span mate in the game is you know all three of them mate brilliant and uh, did you notice I think from from, you know the three interviews how well they all spoke like Mm. you know it sort of just flows off the tongue doesn't it you know obviously so you you know done so many interviews you know in the pro game and all mate it just you know I enjoy every interview you do to be fair mate but for those three lads mate you know they just it's it's like effortless mate isn't it just talking about and like you said, how much they remember about their career and that, and, and yeah, yeah, that, that's what threw me. I mean, I I never expected Nigel to, to you know talk so long because, but he seemed to remember everything. I mean, obviously he's, he's recited it to other other yeah. um, people as well. But um, yeah, it's just amazing how everything was still so clear for them, wasn't it? So uh, brilliant, yeah, yeah. Memories, you know, they'll, they'll yeah never forget, mate. In it really, it's memory. Mm. It's weird that it does stick, like nice up, mate. You know, it does something when you know when you're you're sort of emotionally involved. And so, yeah, you know, I remember like farm of goals from 
33 years ago like this, but I can't remember a vet's goal from last season, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's weird, isn't it, what sticks yeah. with you? Yeah, it is. But, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant interview, Stakes and Jordan, mate, all three, brilliant. Well, that's, let's, let's hope that everyone else does. It's uh, not been yeah. so many current Cornish footballing people on the podcast today, but, uh, well, I, I certainly enjoyed putting it together, put it that way. I, I could have listened to those three all, all week, to be honest. But, um, yeah. but yeah. Um, anyone who is listening, don't forget that, it's a podcast, so you can fast forward, you can skip parts, um, you can stop listening to it today and start listening again two days later sort of thing. So you don't need to listen to it all in one go, which is the important thing. And uh, we can't leave this podcast today without thanking everyone for the help we get. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Rappo and Deeks Friday Fix podcast. Just go to your favourite podcast platform and search for Cornish Soccer Talking Football. And also, if you want to listen back to any previous podcasts of Cornish Soccer, they are all available at anchor.fm slash Cornish Soccer. Thank you. Thank you all for listening and sending us the occasional note about the podcast, because like Rapper, you said just now, you'd had some people remarking about the, the book review um, yeah. may not be many people, but at least, you know, it makes it aware to us that, um, that someone's listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So that's it, the rapper. That's 100 done. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for everything you've done, Deeks, to make it happen. And enjoyed it, mate. Enjoyed it. Enjoy our football chats every week, mate. Even, even though we haven't got a lot of football to talk about, mate, have we? Well, that's the amazing thing, isn't it, as well? That, you know, like you said earlier, we, we haven't had uh, too much football in the last uh, season and a bit. So no. hopefully we might get a season, a complete season before we finish doing this. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be nice. I think we all appreciate that, mate, when we in the future, mate. <laughs> yeah. We won't take it for granted anymore, mate, will we? No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I got me jab coming up on Saturday, so... Uh, Brilliant, mate, yeah. So... It's good, mate, isn't it? I, mean, I think someone said 18 million now, mate, been done, so nearly a third of the country, did. Well, this, I mean, I wasn't expecting to be quite as um, early as this, I must admit. I was sort of thinking possibly March but you know probably April so uh, so yeah. you know all booked first and my second one so uh, yeah it's pretty easy to book as well Deeks once you get get down to it mate isn't it it's yeah pretty, that's right yeah I've been quite impressed with how organised it all is mate you know when I went for my first one mate I think I got my second one in two weeks mate but still feel a bit guilty about that really mate but <laughs> but, um, but yeah but yeah mate I've, yeah, I've been quite impressed with um I think the NHS have like stood up to the plate on, on this one, mate, haven't they? Yeah, they have. So, yeah. we've got to go. Yeah. Great, great show, mate. Really really enjoyed this one, thanks. And thanks for making it happen, mate. We're all the lads, you know, three absolutely top blokes, mate. And, you know, great players, mate. So, yeah, loved it, mate. Goodbye, and everyone out there, stay alert, stay safe, and uh, still going to be responsible, and uh, football will be back yeah. soon. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show.
Your Cornish, Cornish Soccer, Soccer Podcast. Podcast.